Mutation. It is the key to our evolution. It has enabled us to evolve from a single-celled organism into the dominant species on the planet. This process is slow and normally takes thousands and thousands of years. But every few hundred millennia, evolution leaps forward. These are the words spoken by Professor, Professor Charles Francis Xavier in the 2000 film X-Men. Mutants have always been some of, the, some of the most fascinating characters in the Marvel Universe, and uh, it becomes more apparent each day that Kevin Feige plans to use them in his Marvel Cinematic Universe. Here at Planet Fantasy, Damon Anglin and myself, Kyle Duran, want to take advantage of that and get a jump on Mr. Feige, casting our own X-Men while we still have the chance. This is Planet Fantasy, the X-Men MCU Draft. To another episode of the Planet Fantasy Podcast, and uh, we're your host. This is Damon and Kyle. Well, how are you doing today, Kyle? I'm good. I'm good, man. How you doing? Not too bad. Long day at work. I'm ready to talk about the X Men. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, uh, we've you know we decided we were going to do the X Men this week. You know, we were going to talk about one of our favorite Marvel properties. Um, and since they're getting put into the MCU soon. We thought we'd uh, draft some people, you know. Yeah, uh, this is going to be very similar to our our Fantastic Four um, draft. Um, I also want to say real quick before we get into things because I have a feeling this is going to be one of our longer ones. <laughs> um, I just want to say real quick, I for those listening, I really hope you uh, listen to the episode before this one. If you haven't, definitely pause this and go back and listen to it. I just want to brag on my co-host for a second. Um, I was out moving. Uh, but Damon, uh, much like the Nick Fury of podcasts, assembled himself uh, an incredible team. Uh, honestly, dude, like I'm not even just saying this. Probably my favorite uh, episode yet, just because like I I am not a sports guy, so I got to just kind of sit back and like listen. And y'all came up with some really cool picks too. Um, what, but yeah. what was your favorite uh, strategy from someone? Tell me, tell me the truth. You know. I, I hate to say it because he and I have started already started to form kind of a fake rivalry on this podcast, but I just love how like just throwing shit at the wall Austin is. I mean, this is two episodes now where he's like he just surprises me with, um, yeah, and I, he's just he you kind of think you know where he's going, and then he throws a real curveball in there. So, but um, yeah, it was it was an excellent episode. I I had mentioned to Damon before. Or when he told me who he was going to have on, um, awesome guests, uh, and they did not disappoint. Um, we've had a, we've had a lot of luck so far with guests. I mean, no one has. I mean, everyone's brought their A game so far. Yeah, they were really impressive. Like they were on it. They knew exactly who they wanted and why. Um, I thought my team was pretty stacked, but I really like Wahid's and uh, Zach's. I I think that that would be like a super amazing t- like game to watch. Oh my god, it would be incredible. Yeah. Um, I just want to play Quidditch too. Like I need a VR Quidditch game so I can feel like I'm on the broom and just like 
moving around, throwing the quaffle. Did you ever play the old like uh, Quidditch World Cup game? I think it was on the PS2. Yes, I did. I love that game. Um, I thought about it like a lot while doing that podcast. Um, <laughs> it was the graphics were horrid, but <laughs> yeah. the, like, and the buttons were very simple. But it was so fun, like just passing it back and forth. And you really only controlled the the chasers, anyways. Uh, did you play it? I did. That was actually one of the first games I got on the PS2. I would love to see either a remaster of that game or, yeah, a VR would be fucking crazy. I'm not always the best with VR because I've got a lot of like problems with motion sickness, but I feel like that would be manageable. Um, but they just need to do something new with, with the Quidditch game because there's a lot of possibilities there. I, I've never really done VR, not any of the new stuff recently, so it'd be I, I would give it a shot. Um, yeah. But that's enough of Quidditch. We're going to get back to our favorite mutants today. Um, but so, like he was saying, if you haven't seen our final, I mean, uh, Fantastic Four uh, fantasy cast, th- these are going to kind of be spiritually tied to them. Uh, we're not going to be casting anyone from those movies. Uh, we're going to keep it as if like this movie is happening the same year, even maybe or a, a year after. Um so we're trying to make our own little cinematic universe for the Marvel, for the Marvel movies to, uh, to adapt. Um, right. You want to tell the people who we decided we're going to draft on it today? Yeah. So, I mean, with the X-Men, I mean, that, that is, Damon said it right. That's a whole universe in and of itself. And so we really had to limit ourselves, but we went with some essential people. We did a kind of like a mini draft of our, of our own um, back and forth. So we, we had to go with Cyclops. Um, uh, we'll obviously talk a lot more about him, but I think he it's long overdue that he gets, you know, a proper um, like a leadership role where he's not just serving as a, a foil for Wolverine the whole time. Um, so Cyclops uh, and of course, with him, you need Jean, Jean Grey as well. Um, we got Nightcrawler, uh, Gambit, uh, Bayou Represent uh, <laughs> and Rogue. Um, and then we got Beast. And then we are also, just like the Fantastic Four cast, we're also casting a villain. Um, we didn't determine like the same one for each other because I'm pretty sure we'll go pretty different routes with the villain. And then also we're going to do a director. The director will be our kind of like our first pick. And then we'll just kind of go from there. Yeah, that, that pretty much sums it up. And uh, like, of course, we can't pick. We can pick the actor if the other person uh, drafts them. Uh, just not in the same role. Right. Okay. Sound good? Um, so I think that leads us to the list game we're going to play this week, as we always do. And I believe the title, the topic is going to be Marvel Villains. Yeah, we, we kept it pretty broad. So this this will be fun because I think this one will go for, for uh, a minute. So, um, yeah. Do you want to go ahead and kick us off for that? Yes. Um, Doc Ock. Okay. Uh, Green Goblin. Venom. Carnage. All right. Um, Kingpin. Guys, if you haven't guessed, Damon and I are kind of Spider-Man fans. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it is the best one. Like, Batman's yeah. cool and all, but Spider-Man's uh, rogue gallery is so epic. Can't be beat. Um, let's go Morbius. Okay, okay. Uh, Galactus. Nice. Um, Ultron. All right. Uh, Loki. Uh oh, my boy, Michael B. Jordan. Uh, uh, Eric, Eric Killian. 
Oh, that's oh, wait. Eric Killmonger. That's yeah, right. there you go. Mix it up uh, with the uh, guy from Iron Man 3. <laughs> since we're doing X-Men, let's go Magneto. Nice. Um, let's see. Juggernaut. I'm the Juggernaut, bitch. <laughs> that's the, really the best moment of X-Men The Last Stand. Uh, one, of the, one of the few good moments. <laughs> then, Juggernaut and Deadpool 2 was, was interesting. Uh, voice, voiced by Ryan Reynolds himself. That was that was odd. Um, okay, <laughs> nice. Um, let's see. Oh, um, um, what's his name? Uh, Purple Man. Oh, okay, yeah. I was about to say Thanos. <laughs> <laughs> Just said that. Um, Ronan the Accuser. Oh, good, good one. Um, Ego. Oh, that's a good one. Um, how about ooh, Kang the Conqueror? Nice. That was gonna be my next pick. He needs to be in a movie soon. Um, uh, Modok. He's gonna be in that Avengers game, and I'm I'm actually I think I'm gonna get the game just so I can see the storyline. Yeah, for sure. Um. Okay. Okay. Um. Did you say Green Goblin? I did. Okay, Hobgoblin. Nice. Um, Sandman. All right. Um, Hera. Mm, good one. Um, Lady Deathstrike. Uh, is it Deathstrike or is it Deathstroke? Deathstrike. Deathstroke is the uh, the DC mercenary. Okay. Okay. I okay. I get that name mixed up for some reason. Okay. Um, <laughs> Omega Red. Nice. Um, hmm, let's see. Red Skull. Good one. Um, ooh, Bullseye. Oh, really good one. Um, hmm. Um, five seconds. <clears throat> Shoot. Shoot. Does this count, Winter Soldier? Yes, I'll count. I'll allow it. He was a okay. he was a villain. He was. Okay. Um, dang it! Now I forgot who I was going to say. <laughs> um. Oh, Mystique. Nice. Um, Baron Zemo. That's a good one. <clears throat> oh, man. Oh, um, shocker. Nice. Uh, I don't think she has like an actual name, but the Scroll Queen. Yeah, I, I think I, I honestly I think that's the only thing I've heard. I remember her being referred to as. Um, right. I'm not too big into the comics yet, so I I may be wrong. Um, how about oh Dormammu? Hmm. I've come to bargain. Um, <laughs> let's see. Oh, what's his? What's Andy Circus's name? Um, Andy Circus. 
<laughs> uh, Ulysses Claw. There you go, Claw. That's a good one. Oh, that's what I was going to say there earlier. Uh, who would be an amazing Craven the Hunter? You uh, would be him, Andy Serkis. Oh, he would. Wow. Favorite Spider-Man villain, by the way. Um, uh, let's see. He has to be in Spider-Man Three. Yes, I mean, it makes perfect sense. He's going to be on the run now. You know, everyone knows who he is. Um, we said Venom. We said Carnage. Shoot, uh, uh, S- Silver Sable. Oh, that's a good one. Um. Oh, oh, um, what's his name? Abomination? Yeah, nice. Um, uh oh. Five seconds. Three, two, Mm -mm. one. Dang. (laughs) <laughs> oh hey, hey we did pretty damn well okay we went, we went through them we got we got quite a bit out of the way <laughs> oh that was good oh man i didn't even mention the villain that i'm going to have in my movie so oh interesting yes did did we mention yours one of us did i won't say who it was <laughs> okay okay good good we'll see all right so that means i win mm-hmm. that means i'm going to let I'm going to let you go first. Start us off. All right. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and get the ball rolling with uh, my director. Um, This is uh, a guy who not only has experience with comic book movies, uh, he's directed, to my knowledge, like five of them, uh, one of them being an X-Men movie. Um, And... uh, he it's arguably my favorite x-men movie he i think that the mcu is is uh no stranger to not recycling but reusing you know actors or or directors from old marvel projects um and i think that he deserves you know to be making more films uh, in the marvel universe um i'm gonna go with matthew vaughn uh yes. director of yeah first class um the kingsman movies kick ass um Great, great director. Um, I just think that he, First Class is easily my favorite X-Men movie. Uh, I think that um, he just really, he understood the team dynamic, also nailed the, the dynamic between um, Magneto and, and, uh, and Charles. Um, but I just think that he has a very, very kind of like, I don't know how to describe it, like a very uh, chaotic energy in like the action he directs, um, especially with like the King, the Kingsman movies, um, you know, the church sequence in the first Kingsman movie is fucking incredible. Oh, um, it scenes of anything. Yeah. So good. You got Freebird in the background. <laughs> um, he just knows how to have fun with his movies. Um, and I think that's really important with any superhero movie, but definitely with the X-Men. Um, the X-Men deals with a lot of heavy themes sometimes. And so it's, it's not, it's probably important to balance that out with some fun direction. And like I said, he is no stranger to the X-Men. A lot of these characters um, he hasn't directed before. So I would love to see his take on them. I would love to see him kind of tackle the team dynamic again. Um, and then, you know, 
this is just us kind of spitballing our, you know, MCU future. So I, in, in this kind of hypothetical, I'd love to see him come back for some, for some X-Men sequels. I just think he's a really, he's a fun director. He's been around for a minute now, but I think he's still a, a very relevant director. Um, yeah, I just, I really love his style. That's great pick. Uh, Kingsman is one of my favorite series. I am really intrigued by the Kingsman that they're going to be releasing. uh, Yeah, for sure. Origins. Um, Kick-Ass is, you know, really when you think about Kick-Ass and going to Kingsman, like you're right. The the energy that you feel in each fight scene is very similar. Uh, It's a lot of quick, the the camera's not really quick cutting, but it's really, it's moving a lot with the action and you feel like you're always a part of it. And I really love that with them. Um, And first class was, it showed the relationship between Magneto and Charles splendidly. Um, Even though it, you know, really wasn't a lot of time, it showed just how well they connected and bonded as human beings and, and why um, they have this, this just such a, tumultuous relationship going forward in the future um so i love that pick uh who is he who is he directing all right so to kick it off for my first uh my first cast pick i gotta go with my boy cyclops um this is obviously this is going to be my my team leader um as we go through the draft you know we'll kind of go over plot details but um basically cyclops scott summers is i'm I'm going with kind of a younger uh team they're all going to be you know late 20s maybe um, and so this is a uh, similar Cyclops to what we've seen in the prequel movies, you know, Ty Sheridan's take on the character. Um, but he's going to be in a more of a leadership position. Um, that Cyclops is more of kind of one who's finding his, his footing. Um, and I, I just, I love Cyclops in the comics. He kind of gets shit on a lot as like the boy scout of the team, but I think that's like, you know, an endearing quality of, of that character. Um, obviously one of the you know the fan favorites of the mcu captain america is the the poster boy for boy scouts and i think that if you write it correctly it's not really a boring character and i think that yeah cyclops is just a lot of fun um really fun power uh would love to see that on the screen more and so um for this character i'm going with dylan o'brien um dylan o'brien's known for uh the maze runner movies um he is in uh, it's funny. I, I know him mostly for those movies, but he's in a lot of um, kind of indie flicks too. Uh, he re- really did impress me in those movies though. Um, I didn't really, I had never read the books and I didn't really know much about the, the movies when the first one came out, kind of just wrote it off, off as another, you know, young adult adaptation, especially when it came out, it felt like they were just like, kind of doing overkill with all these young, young adult adaptations. Um, it was right off the heels of Hunger Games. Um, really, really loved the first Maze Runner movie. Um, I have mixed feelings about the other two movies, but the first one is, is just really solid. And Dylan O'Brien is, is excellent in that movie. Um, and yeah, I think he's a, he's a, he's a young kind of up and coming actor. He actually was my, you know, way back in the day in when they first announced that Spider-Man was going to, be introduced in civil war before they had the you know before they had tom holland announced i actually did dylan o'brien was my first pick for spidey um and he was a little bit younger then i just think that he has a really great kind of youthful quality about him um would also love to see him play dick grayson someday in, in the dc universe um he just he, he kind of fits that bill for all those kind of characters right right like this this young kind of character who's trying to prove himself um and that fits cyclops to a t 
Uh, th- again, this is a younger Cyclops. He's still um, he's going to be the leader, but he's also still trying to figure his shit out and trying to figure out. You know, he's he's a relatively new mutant, um, uh, so he's still trying to figure out his powers and his place in in the world. And so, yeah, I just I really like Dylan O'Brien. He's kind of a, a younger voice that I'm very interested in, and I I'm kind of excited to see like what he does in the future. Um, and I think this would be a really, really great kind of stepping stone to that. I love that pick. Um, Dylan O'Brien, I know the guy from Teen Wolf, um, which is hmm. a really good underrated MTV show. Those are yeah. really words to put together, but <laughs> I said it. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> um, I watched Teen Wolf a couple years ago, and he was the sidekick character to, um, to oh, man, I'm, I'm blanking on the main guy. It's been a while, guys, but he's the sidekick. You know, he's the funny guy. He's there to to make jokes and relieve the situation, get into trouble and get rescued. Uh, you know, he gets the love interest uh, from one of the other people. He has a lot of stuff going on. His dad's the sheriff, you know, in that. And he is able to play a lot of different kind of emotions very well in that show, uh, which I think would, you know, put itself really well to being Cyclops to Scott Summers. Um, having a little bit of, a little bit of, um, let's, what's the word? Uh, easiness to Scott is going to be really important. And Dylan can do that really well. Um, and I think having this role for Dylan would really be great for his career, uh, career. I think, uh, he could take this into a really, um, serious yet, real, um, what's the word? Um, just bring some levity to it. You know, he's going to be yeah. able to, you know, I I think hmm. with his age right there, are you going to be going for all the cast is going to be pretty young? Uh, yeah, basically, um, I mean, either he or Hank are probably my my oldest uh, character in this team, but they're all pretty much kind of mid late twenties, um, so they're kind of a relatively young team. I would love to see Dylan in this role as far as being the leader in a movie and a, like in an ensemble cast. Um, he's done very well in being ensembles before, um, but maybe not in that like main role. So I really like this pick. I really want to see who he's going to be bouncing off of, you know, especially Gene, especially Beast. Um, tell me, um, any, any details you're going to give up about the uh, plot right now? Um, so basically, I guess, so yeah, kind of go into, I mean, the big question that I had, I don't know about Damon, but going into this was the same with Fantastic Four, you know, uh, we're basically doing this as like, this is our next phase of the MCU. They've done such a good job of closing that chapter of the Infinity Saga. And so so now we want to see what's next. And so, yeah, going forward with the X-Men, there's been a lot of theories of how they're going to introduce them because you can't, I mean, it's, it's, it'll be tough to just say, all of these characters have been active and just have never been mentioned before. Um, so I'm going to go with one. This seems to be kind of a relatively popular theory, but I just really love it. It's very fascinating to me. Um, so basically I'm going with the reverse house of M effect. Um, uh, if you're not familiar with the comic house of M, basically um, Wanda Maximoff uh, after losing, uh, I it's been a long time. I don't think it's vision. I think she loses someone else. It might even be Quicksilver. Something happens that kind of tips her over the edge. We've we've seen flashes of that in the in the MCU, um, and with all of that power, she 
kind of loses it and just, you know, she says, I mean, they're iconic words in the Marvel Universe. She says, no more mutants. And uh, she herself is a mutant in the comics, but she says, no more mutants. And it sets off House of M is this whole story where every mutant on Earth uh, basically wakes up the next day and is a regular person, has no memory of, um, no memory of, of their life before. Uh, it's a really, really fantastic story. Uh, it's a kind of a, a fun entryway into the X-Men world because um, it was a, it kind of served as a bit of a, a soft reboot for the, the X-Men stories. Um, but uh, for this, I'm going with the reverse. So we obviously, Wanda is going to be playing a big role in the future of the MCU. You know, you have WandaVision coming out the end of this year, and then you have, she's going to be playing a, a big role in, in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness in uh, next year, 2022. Um, and... Um, you know, she's already been through some shit. You know, she she lost Quicksilver, she lost Vision. Um, she herself, you know, was snapped out of existence and just came back. And so um she's already kind of teetering towards that spot we see here in the comics. I think that um after I'm very curious to see what happens with WandaVision, um, because obviously that show is gonna be about her, I imagine, attempting to either bring back vision or a lot of it seems to be pretty like you know uh in her mind uh you know they're going with some really trippy the trailer was really trippy and you know they seem to be going to a vibe of like her imagining a lot of things and so i think that with just the amount of power she has essentially she's going to get pushed over the edge either by losing vision again or something's going to happen in dr strange um and she is uh she she won't say those iconic words obviously but something will happen where she'll be forced to, you know, she she will something will happen with her powers, which she's not. Hey, everybody! Sorry about that. Technical difficulties, like always. You know, technology. But we're back and we're ready to go. Uh, Kyle was telling us about, uh, you know, a little bit about his plot and how the mutants came to be in the MCU. Right. Yeah. So just to summarize real quick. Um, yeah. So so Wanda, um, I think Wanda is going to be playing a big role in this. Um, I had mentioned, you know, the House of M story in the comics, how she wipes out mutants. Uh, this is going to be the reverse of that. So what with uh, her role in WandaVision and, and Doctor Strange, the second movie, I think that a lot's going to happen that's kind of push her over the edge. Um, I'm interested to see what happens in WandaVision, whether she actually gets him back or not. Um, but I think that she's going to be pushed over the edge and something's going to happen with her powers. She's not always in control of those powers. And, you know, she's going to be pushed over the edge and suddenly, you know, mutants are going to be coming out of nowhere. You know, she, a lot of her powers are, I, you know, if I, if I remember correctly, her powers come from the reality stone. Um, so, uh, I think that's the one in Loki Scepter. Um, and so a lot of her powers have to do with altering reality. Um, and so that's going to be basically the crux of, of how these mutants came to be. Um, she's gonna, They could be regular citizens and then, you know, something happens at the end of Doctor Strange 2. And then going into this new phase of the MCU, we're being introduced to all these new characters. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of that kind of sets into to motion the the story for this movie. Um 
they're all going to, you know, kind of find each other during the movie. They don't know each other prior. Um, and it's going to be about them kind of forming as a team and discovering these, these new powers they have. I dig that. I mean, that's, there's a reason that's probably one of the most popular theories going around right now. Um, it makes so much sense. The house of M is, is legendary as far as the storyline and art goes. Um, I love that idea. Um, I, I hope that happens. It sounds like probably the best way for us to go forward. Um, right. I dig it. Um, it is the Mind Stone, however, not the Reality Stone. Oh, that's right. Okay. It was the Mind Stone, which was in the Scepter, which was also what powered her in Quicksilver. And of course, you know, is what, uh, you know, kind of powered Vision. So, right. All connected. Um, so I, I dig that pick. I love the director. So I'm just going to go ahead and upstage you real quick. real quick we're going to jump into my director and i got really inspired by this very recent movie i watched um on netflix called the old guard and it's directed by gina prince bithwood and this is honestly her first kind of foray into the kind of action genre Uh, she's the first black uh, woman to direct a comic book movie which i thought would be a great stepping stone for her to jump into the x-men which is a world just ripe for tons of representation and allegory and stories for for justice and i think she would be a great voice for that um she did such a phenomenal job in that movie have you seen it yet kyle i have not i hear so many good things about it though I, I loved it. It was it's a story about a group of immortal mercenaries led by Char, Char, uh, Charlize Theron. Uh, and if that doesn't make you want to watch it, I don't know what will. But uh, she just really does a a great job of showing a team and them moving well together, uh, talking well together. And no one really stole the spotlight. Everyone had their own story and their motives. Um, no one really got overshadowed. And I think she would be a really good good person to do that for the x-men going forward she was also the director for love and basketball so oh, wow yes. great movie classic i mean i don't need to explain that movie you should know <laughs> everyone should know that movie so she knows romance very well and in this movie that i'm going to have is two couples in their first meetings so in a way this is going to be kind of an action rom-com thriller that my movie is going to be so i love that that's that's very intriguing that the two couples i i'm very i mean i i feel like i know the obvious one but i'm very intrigued to to find out the other one um yeah that's that's awesome yes so going forward she's directing this movie um x-men untitled project i was trying to come up with a really good name i I just couldn't um but i'm also going to go first with my boy cyclops right because he's amazing. He's going to be the leader of the X-Men eventually. Maybe not right now, not in this movie, uh, because the X-Men are not really a thing at the moment. Um, But my Cyclops is young as well. He's uh, just recently discovered his powers and is really kind of freaking out, you know. And I wanted someone who could play that well while still being able to stay calm and play it cool. Uh, Someone who has a very good presence on screen, has a good smile. Um, someone who's going to be, when he's going to be uh, putting out demands and commands to the team, you're going to believe that he can do that and everyone's going to listen. Um, 
And for this, I wanted a very young, talented actor. I've seen in multiple roles. He's, he's done a lot of different kinds of things. And I think this would be a great step for him. Uh, and he's even done a DC role before. Um, so I'm going Cameron Monaghan. Oh, man, I love this pick. Oh, wow. Yes, I do. I, I This is one of my favorite picks I came up with, man. Um, right? Like, he was the Joker. Well, the proto-Joker, whatever you want to call him, in Gotham. <laughs> He's Ian in Shameless. So good. Incredible. Um, <laughs> and then recently, he's he was the uh, Avatar and voice actor for Jedi the Fallen Order. Mm-hmm. That's Cal Kestis. Cal Estes. Ah, Cal Kestis, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I just love his demeanor. Um, he has a great frame. The dude is built already. Like he really doesn't have to do much working out for that role. Um, but I, I think he'd be able to play the stoic, uh, leader with a little bit of a little bit of wit to him, you know, uh, that he'll be able to let out every now and then to show you he's not just some robot. Um, and I think he's going to be able to show the warmth that Scott really encompasses because he's he's kind of a protector. You know, he really is like he's the leader because he's able to, you know, delegate and everything. But he cares also. He really yeah. does, or else he wouldn't be doing it. Um, mm-hmm. So I really want to be able to show that that he's going to be there for his other people, for his team going forward. And so I think Cameron would be able to play that great. I love this pick. Yeah, Cameron is is one of my definitely one of the most interesting kind of up and coming actors. Um, he, I have very, very mixed feelings and got them to be completely honest, never finished it. Um, I kind of dropped out after the maybe third season. Um, season two and a half. Yeah. I, he, he's, but uh, that being said, he is far and away the best thing about that show um, playing twin brothers. And I mean, just nailing it. He is so good. One of my favorite live action jokers, truly. I mean, he's, he's, he, they're the episode where you kind of get the hint that he's going to become the Joker. You know, he's presented that as, as this innocent, innocent character. And then the ending scene where he kind of like, it's like a, you know, a finger snap and then he changes. And it's like, wow, this kid has got some talent. Like, he is incredible. Um, love him in, in uh, Fallen Order. Uh, I love that game so much. And he, I just love that video games now give actors so much more chance to like act in video games. You know, it's, it's so much more about performances now. Um, and I love, I love that. I think that he is really, really great in, in that. Um, yeah. Shameless is hilarious. Um, I even really like him in the giver, another kind of underrated young adult. I forgot about uh, That's right. Yeah. Really fun movie. Um, yeah, this guy's awesome. He's a great kind of up and coming actor. Um, and I, I think it's a really smart pick to pick him as Cyclops because looking at these, um, the ones we picked for this team, um, I can see him going for even for like Hank McCoy, but I think that he works really well for Scott because you're right. He has that kind of stoic quality, um, but he can throw in some wit. Obviously he, we've seen him, you know, as the, the, the proto Joker, but I think he can, throw in some wit as well he can um uh you made a really good point about scott caring about this team especially with these being i think we're both going with kind of a younger team it seems like um you know he he's essentially like the big brother of this group um i'm definitely going with kind of a, a family vibe for my movie like this is just kind of a all these kind of young uh not kids but young adults who are really kind of lost in the world just finding each other and forming this family 
um, kind of similar to the Guardians movies. Uh, and I think that, yeah, he, he works so well for that, just kind of being this rallying force um, that they all kind of uh, are drawn to. Um, so yeah, this is a really, really great call. I love it. Thank you. Yes. Inspiring. I think is what he's going to be able to do. At, yes. For the role. Um, 100%. thank you. I'm, I'm glad you like it and you're going to like this next pick. I think for Jean Grey, um, you know, Cyclops is a girlfriend, his wife, uh, the, you know, the only person he's ever seemed to really care about, you know, of course there's been others, but it's really, it's really Jean Grey when it comes down to it. And, um, I want to, Jean Grey to be very important uh, person because she's always an important character in X-Men. You know, yeah. she, she gets the Phoenix force. She's with Cyclops. She is one of the most powerful mutants there are, even without Phoenix force, really. Um, she, she's a telepath. She's so badass. She's compassionate. She's passionate. Um, she's, she's fiery. She, you know, she's friendly. She's able to be there for her people. Um, she likes to have fun, but she's, you know, very hesitant sometimes as far as uh, when her power is concerned. Um, I want someone able to someone who's able to show that warmth um, and kind of be the the mother hen going forward. You know, the mom of the group uh, mm-hmm. who's someone there to lead a, a lending hand. But someone also is going to be able to show very emotional uh, distress going forward because Jean has a lot of problems and situations that's going to pop up in the x-men universe uh right. they just do her really wrong for some reason and i don't think it's going to be any better in the mcu so we need someone who's going to be able to act that out and i'm going with say orzy ronan oh man great pick i really love both of these wow that's awesome right like you know uh you may know her from the lovely bones uh the newest little women uh ladybird She's amazing. I, I just love her presence. Um, she's able to do calm very well. She's able to lash out and be loud and, and passionate. And it's very believable. Um, she just has a great, great face and presence. Also, I, I think her with Cameron is going to pair very well. I think they're going to have decent chemistry, um, both similar around the same age. So yes, I'm definitely, you know, skewing younger. Um, and, you know, that way, hopefully they'll be able to be these, the X-Men for another 10, 12, 15 years, you know, hopefully right. if it all yeah. goes right. Um, and I think Sayorzi could eventually be one of the best actresses in Hollywood um, at that point. And having her as Jean Grey would just be an ace in the hole for, for the MCU. So what do you think? Yeah, this could, I mean, the first thing I think of when you mention her is, like this could be easily a new like um uh, i don't know how to say it like a new a new face of the MCU right like i'm basically i'm i don't know about you i'm building my team as like kind of taking over for the MCU after the yeah. avengers have kind of had yeah. their stories mm-hmm. um so I, I would love to see you know a lot of x men focused stories going forward and yeah she i mean she is such a big name right now in hollywood rightfully so too i mean she's incredible the first thing i saw her in was uh, a little movie called brooklyn um uh it wasn't a huge movie, um, very independent movie, but it's a phenomenal movie. She plays a, an Irish immigrant who moves to Brooklyn in, um, I think it's like the 40s or 50s. Um, it's kind of a love story. She's torn between like her home in Ireland and, and this guy she meets in Brooklyn. But that was the first thing I saw her in, and I was just blown away. Um, and that was back in 2015 before she kind of blew up. I think Lady Bird was really kind of what made her a household name. Um well- 
see, I remember her in the Lovely Bones all the way back, and I just oh yeah, I I've been wanting, I've been following her since because she was so good in that role. Um, At such a young age as well. So young, and right, like I honestly wanted her to be Katniss. Oh um, yeah, she would be fantastic as Katniss. Instead, she did Hannah, which you know showed her her archery skills. So mm-hmm. she was kind of killed. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she, I mean, for all the reasons you listed, she, she can play calm. She can play fiery. Uh, I didn't have a lot of interest in little woman, but my friend Jason got me to go see it with him and she just blew me away in that movie. She probably should have won best actress last year, but that's another conversation. Um, she, yeah, I mean, she could on a, on a, on the turn of a, uh, switch, she could be fiery and passionate, but also be kind of that calming force in this team. Um, and yeah, Jean has a lot of shit going on. <laughs> she has just uh, arguably the most power in this team. Um, and I mean, she has a lot to kind of cope with and deal with. And uh, she gets dealt a pretty shitty hand a lot of times in the comics. And um, seeing that happen with her, that inner like uh, turmoil and conflict, I think Miss Ronan could uh, just knock that out of the park. Um, and this is one, you know, thinking... I don't like to do this because I just like doing fan cast for, for the sake of it, but thinking in like a Kevin Feige like business sense, I mean, this is a almost a no-brainer. I mean, she's such a big name. You put her in one of these movies and you've got so many people who haven't seen these movies before in theaters because they love her. Um, so I think that this would reach all kinds of audiences. Uh, yeah, she's that's a really great pick. Did not expect it. I, she was never even on my board. And now I'm like kicking myself. That's a, that's a great pick. <laughs> that means I'm very excited to see who you pick as Jean. Um, you know, so I'm, yes, please. Um, well, if that's it, who do you got next? All right. Um, well, I, now I can't help, but I got to go with Jean too. Um, so uh, I, I had two that I was going back and forth in between truly right up until we started this um, podcast. I mean, they're both, I think they both would be really killer in this role. Um, the one I picked is really, truly just because I want to see her in more things. Um, we know her and love her as uh, Egret in Game of Thrones. And uh, yeah, I'm going with Miss Rose Leslie. You know nothing, um, yeah, you know nothing, Johnson. That's right. Uh, I mean, Yeah. Everyone's favorite redhead. I truly my favorite character uh, on the show. Probably it's either her or Jon Snow. Um, I've mentioned before about Game of Thrones. Not always my favorite show, but she the stuff with the two of them was definitely my favorite like story arc um, on that show. Her death is just heartbreaking. Um, Fuck that little kid. I know, right? All these the worst. Um, but yeah, I love this actress. I uh, this is actually the only thing I've seen her in, which is a surprise to me because it seems like she's um, been in a lot of stuff. But uh, um, I think she was fantastic. I think in another in another world, you know, if uh, I don't know, I don't know exactly how old she is, but in an alternate dimension, she would make a phenomenal Jenny Weasley um, at the wow. younger age. Yeah. I think that she, yeah, she's just got that fiery redhead quality in the movies. I got to say it, the movies really fucked over Jenny Weasley. She had no personality. Um, and obviously we love Jenny for the fact that she is just a, a fireball and keeps everyone in check. <laughs> and I think that Rose Leslie would have been perfect in that role. Um, but yeah, I think that that also works for Jean Grey. You know, she, again, we've mentioned this. She is truly, I mean, she's one of the most powerful mutants, really one of the most powerful characters in the Marvel universe. Um, Phoenix or not. Uh, she, uh, you know, she is an incredibly, incredibly gifted telepath. Um, often, you know, 
even you know in the original x-men movies we saw her like working with professor xavier in that aspect because they were uh, almost equal in power um i think that that's what i really want to aim with with this kind of casting is just so much kind of untapped um power in a similar way to you know i mentioned her earlier similar to wanda you know wanda in the mcu they've done a really stellar job of showing that kind of like raw power in her character um and it's going to be the same way with jean gray you know she has trouble controlling it sometimes so when we when when we meet jean in this movie um she's very much uh she's run away from home and uh essentially it's just having a lot of trouble keeping control of this power. You know, she's uh, hearing all these voices and hearing all these people's thoughts and she doesn't know what's going on. And uh, the first kind of like meeting of this team I'm going to have is the, is, you know, Scott and Jean. Um, I think this is, I mean, it's, it's one of the most enduring relationships um, in the Marvel universe for a reason. Uh, they're, they're the heart and soul of the, of the X-Men. Um, and, they have been through so much in the comics. And so having them meet first for me was really important to establish that relationship really early in the film before we have the rest of the family come together. I want to have them kind of established as the mom and dad of this group. Um, And yeah, they'll both kind of find each other. They're trying to figure out what's going on with their powers. Um, Scott has not yet, you know, fashioned those really cool looking shades. And so he's having a lot of trouble with his eyes and, and, you know, shooting freaking laser beams at people and and uh gene just hears all these thoughts she's getting really terrible headaches and all that they find each other and uh they start to you know they kind of butt heads a lot and and fight and it's a little bit kind of a will they won't they sort of but um they eventually come together and uh you know they uh start dating in this movie as you know we progress with the team um and meeting the rest of the members but really just the most important thing to me for for gene is that she's just uh, like a very passionate character. Um, yeah, I mean, Rose Leslie Egret is just, I mean, that's that's her in a, in a nutshell on Game of Thrones. Um, she kept Jon Snow in check. She um, really didn't take any shit from anyone. Um, and yeah, that's that's Jean for me. She's such a powerful character, not even just talking about her powers, but just a very strong, um, <laughs> she's a strong, independent woman. She don't need no man, uh, even though I'm putting her with Scott. <laughs> um <laughs> and uh scott you know, needs I, her okay exactly yeah scott needs her let's let's make that super clear <laughs> um but yeah I, I love that you you know you mentioned when you with your director choice that uh the x-men films are really all about celebrating diversity um i mean since the beginning of the x-men it's all been it's always been kind of a an allegory for racial relations but they're really just uh, a celebration of diversity across the board and so having um having gene play like a really kind of a lead role in this movie is important to me because gene is i mean she's one of the lead roles uh you know in in the animated series um she kind of is in the in the original movies um but she's such an important member of this team and uh yeah i just think that rose leslie I really want to see her in more things. I'm just surprised I haven't. I love her in Game of Thrones. She was taken too soon, but I, I'd love to see um, her kind of own this role. Um, and I think also, too, you know, she could play off of Dylan O'Brien really well. I think there would be a lot of great chemistry between the two of them. Um, yeah, and I'd just love to see. I mean, her power is just like one of the ones that really lends itself to a movie more than a lot of the X-Men, the X-Men's powers. Um, and so I'd love to see 
what Matthew Vaughn could do with that. Cause we didn't get to see him direct, you know, Sophie Turner in the, in the prequel movie. So I'd, I'd love to see his, his take on, on Gene. I, I dig it. I, I would love to see Rose take this leap for another, for, you know, a big movie franchise. I, I loved her as uh, Ingrid. Um, she was my other choice for Gene. Oh, those wow. Are my, those are my two choices. So I'm glad they both got drafted <laughs> um, because I was thinking the same thing, you know, pretty much everything you said i she's she'd be a very fantastic gene especially paired with dylan um i think that's why i went more with sayorzi instead um paired with cameron i, I think having rose with dylan that that energy i think they both have a a very positive and lively energy uh they're gonna feed off of each other and i i, I like that i like where you're going man um rose I, I don't think either of us watched downton at abby but she apparently was on there and oh, okay. got her gotcha. big start there. So, you know, do with that what you will. We right. neither of us <laughs> watched that. Um, <laughs> all right. Now I want to see where you're going to go with this, man. Uh, you know, so they're getting together. They're going to be in a relationship. Uh, and so they, they are the X-Men already. Uh, essentially, I mean, yeah, so Scott and, and Gene are, are going to find each other. Um, you know, they're not necessarily the X-Men. They're not even thinking along the lines of, like, we're going to form a team of superheroes. They're really just kind of trying to survive at this point. Um, I'll go ahead and talk about my villain at this point because, you know, they this, that's, this is where the threat's going to start coming and they've got to start banding together. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll go ahead and cast my villain next. Um, uh, so I did mention that he was, uh, he was mentioned in our, in our list game. Um, you brought him up and I, I was very glad to hear him mentioned because this is a character, uh, I just always loved him in X-Men lore. He, uh, he's kind of one of those, like, he reminds me a bit of like, um, Red Skull where he's just a very over the top villain. And you know me, I mean, I've said it so many times. I'm just a huge, like corny, campy comic book fan. I love Tell that. Tell me you're going to him. Please, please say it. Please, just, yes. I mean, I'm, I'm going with uh, Omega Red. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's just, this guy is ridiculous. <laughs> oh, God, he is. He, I mean, when you look at his, like, you know, his wiki or, like, his backstory, it's like, I think if you read it without knowing who it was, you're like, well, this has to be a comic book villain. Like, it's just such a ridiculous backstory. But also, I mean, what's important, you know, we're, we are doing this in the MCU, and the MCU is so great about that connective tissue. Um, you know, his backstory has been changed a little bit, but mostly it, they've stuck to this story that he um, he was a serial killer in, in Soviet Russia. Um, and basically he was captured by... Um, he was captured by the CIA, CIA I believe, and or no, the, K, the KGB, uh, and they they experiment, experimented on him to basically make him Russia's answer to Captain America. Um, they wanted to make their own super soldier. And so uh, let me pull this up because his name, I, I'm probably going to butcher it, but Ar- Arkady Gregorovich Rosovich. Um, he, Sounds good to me. <laughs> he is this, uh, yeah, he's a serial killer. He's this really brutal serial killer in, in Russia and, he gets captured and instead of being killed, yeah, they, they experiment on him. They want to make their own super soldier um, in classic, you know, 80s uh, fashion. Um, it goes wrong and he essentially like escapes and he now has these incredible powers. Um, I, my first experience with Omega Red was, you know, I can't even remember the name of it now. I feel bad, but one of the old, I had an X-Men game 
on the on the game like the like the Game Boy of all things. Um, and he was like one of the first villains you fight. Uh, it's like a platformer game, and I just I hated him because he was so hard to get past. But he uh, he's like one of those just larger than life uh, villains. Um, he's basically got you know he's got a lot of the same powers as Captain America. He's um, you know an excellent hand to hand combatant. He's a kind of a military tactician. Um, he has essentially superhuman strength and speed and, and agility and all that, but also is very, very smart. He has regener- regenerative healing factor, a lot like uh, Wolverine. Um, he uh, actually, so, you know, what, what he's most known for are like kind of the tentacles that are coming out of him. And those are made from, um, those are made from carbonadium, which is essentially the Soviets' attempt to recreate adamantium, you know, what Wolverine's claws are made out of. So he's kind of a combination of, like, their answer to Captain America and Wolverine. And so definitely, you know, for, for, for this, you know, the MCU uh, adaptation, I'm definitely leaning into the Captain America side of it. Um, I think that's a really easy way. The MCU has always been great about um, if they want to introduce a really big villain, they, you know, kind of, kind of tie it back to an MCU character. And this, I think, honestly, this isn't a villain, but I think they're they're going that route with um, uh, David Harbour's character in the Black Widow movie. Um, he seems like a lot of the kind of the same thing, like the Russia's answer to Captain America. Um, but this is definitely going to be a more sinister side of that. Uh, yeah, so he, you know, he escapes. He becomes this villain. He's basically just out on the warpath. He was before this, he was just a serial killer, and so he's really just out to kill. Um, he escapes to America. And while he's out, he comes across uh, a young man who, you know, is shooting laser beams out of his eyes. And honestly, he's just he sees that as a threat. And so he goes after him and starts chasing him. And so while this movie, you know, it's going to be going back and forth between a lot of different characters, a lot of our team members. But as we're following Scott in kind of the beginning of the movie, a lot of scenes will be kind of cutting back to, you know, uh, our, our kind of following him and Scott doesn't know about it yet. And one of our first kind of fight uh, sequences is um, shortly after he meets up with Gene, you know, our attacks and it's the first time they kind of face off. And um, this is the really the first time they kind of like decide they need to band together because now there's, you know, it's not just that they're figuring out these powers now, you know, there's this, this, this super villain, <laughs> Uh, coming after them and so um, yeah I just you know I mentioned you know, Omega Red is just such a larger than life you know super villain he's you know just cornering over the top uh, he's uh, I think he'd be so fun to see on screen um, especially those tentacles you know he's kind of, the tentacles are kind of like uh, Doc Ock but you know he's got a little bit more of a sinister vibe to him um, and he would just be really really fun to see so uh, all of that being said uh, who I cast for him is um, Alexander Ludwig. Uh, he is known for roles in, um, he's in the film uh, Lone Survivor. Um, he is, uh, he is in uh, the first Hunger Games movie. He plays, I think his name is Cato. Um, one of like the career tributes. Yeah, District to... 2, I believe. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, um, he, let's see. Uh, what else is he in? He, I mean, he, he kind of, I won't say typecasted because I do really like this actor, but he has kind of followed the trajectory of like that kind of role in Hunger Games. He's kind of like the big brawny guy that um, is really super menacing. And so that kind of just shouted, I mean, when I was casting this this character, I really had only two picks. And uh, 
I'll go ahead and say what my other pick was. It was uh, another Alex, Alex Sparrow, who, uh, if you don't know that name, it's okay because his only role right now or only known role is he plays um, – I've already forgotten his name, but he plays the Russian character in Space Force. Um, brand new show, uh, the guy who's dating Steve Carell's daughter. Um, and I, I, I think that character is really funny. Um, I think the show is super funny. But, you know, he – I think that that would be fun to see, but I just don't know, you know, I don't know much about this actor. I, that's the only thing I've seen him in. And so I don't know about his experience as an actor. He's still relatively new. And so with Alexander Ludwig, and he's got a little bit more experience under his belt. Um, like I said, you know, he, uh, the Hunger Games, he's really, really great in that movie. He just was this menacing force. Um, gets taken out super brutally by the way but uh he yeah he's he's just he's a fun kind of like villain for Katniss and Peeta in that movie um really great in Lone Survivor kind of one of um, the minor roles in that movie he's not one of the guys who um ends up on the mission that Mark Wahlberg's on but he is uh sent in to kind of extract them um later on in the movie um but he yeah he just I think he just has this kind of like He's very, very kind of like physically imposing, and that's obviously very important for this villain role. Um, but he just also like I really want to see him go with that more sinister vibe again. You know, we kind of saw it with with his role in Hunger Games, but I'd love to see it again. Um, he's also on the show uh, Vikings, which I haven't had a chance to watch, but I imagine that's kind of along the same lines. Maybe not menacing, but he certainly it's a very physically imposing role. Um and so I just I'd, I really want to see him tap into I think this could be like his chance to really kind of tap into that like that sinister kind of role, um, you know, and, and, you know, the MCU has been a mixed bag of villains. We've had some just truly iconic ones like Thanos and Loki and some really forgettable ones as well. And so I think this would be their chance to go. You know, it's been a while since we ha- we've had like that really over the top kind of villain. Um, that's why I mentioned Red Skull. I really, that's personally one of my favorite MCU villains. I, I love him in, in the first Captain America movie. Um, and I think this could be along the same lines as that. And I, yeah, I just, I just, Omega Red is such a big part of my childhood. Like that was one of my, one of my first X-Men villains. And uh, I mean, the X-Men were some of the first Marvel comics I ever read. And so I just, lo- I would love to see him brought to the the big screen. Oh, okay. So first off, I love that you went Omega Red, man. I was, once you started talking about it, I knew you were going with it. Um, (laughs) I never heard of that, that game you played, but uh, I was introduced to him by a little show called X-Men, the animated series in the 90s. Um, I would wake up and watch that with my mom. Um, She was a huge X-Men fan, still am. Uh, still is. Uh, my mom is a huge geek and nerd. She's a Trekkie, and this is where I get all of it from. So, <laughs> um, um, so with that, we wa- we would watch X Men. Um, in Omega Red, I would always just remember because he was so over the top, so insane, and his fights with Wolverine, honestly, were I liked more than Sabretooth. Yeah. And when the movies came out, the first ones, I was like. Oh man, they went with Sabretooth instead of Omega Red. Right. Yeah. I'm kind of bummed even then. So I've been clamoring to see Omega Red in a movie. So thank you, Kyle, <laughs> for making little Damon happy. Because <laughs> old Damon didn't go with Omega Red. Um, but and I, I like that you mentioned Doc Ock because the, the tentacles are very kind of Doc Ock style. And I like to think of Omega Red's personality as kind of Doc Ock meets Carnage. 
mm. meets um morbius just because of the the life energy kind of vibe is he gonna have that with him in this yeah so that'll be like that'll be kind of a later on thing i think it'll be a lot of it would just be kind of him experiencing all these side effects of this um experiment um most of the movie will be just him like with these tentacles but yeah i imagine kind of like the third act battle um he starts really experiencing this life you know this is a huge thing the life force absorption um yeah, he has a bit of that, like that, uh, like that vampire vibe. You know, he uh, he straight up dementors and and sucks the the life force out of people. So I'm not gonna say it's gonna happen to any of my team because obviously I don't want to kill off any of these characters no, in the first movie. Uh, but uh, you know, it could, it could come close or it could happen. What I would love to see in the third act, maybe it happens to an innocent civilian who gets kind of caught in the middle of the fight, and that would add some some depth some depth yeah. to the movie and bring bring an x factor into the new fight and maybe it even like supercharges them <laughs> right yeah, yeah yeah exactly um but yeah like i would love to see these you know these are really inexperienced kids and so seeing them kind of come up against him and then that happens it really kind of gets them to be like oh we've got to get our shit together you know we've got to really be a team and 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 fight this guy but yeah i'm so glad i'm so glad that you loved omega red because i was hoping I was hoping that you would be on board with this pick. He's one of my favorites. <laughs> oh, easily, man. Um, especially because you went Alexander Ludwig. Um, he actually popped up on a lot of uh, fan casting for Beast uh, when I was doing some research. And so I, I looked into him. He, he seems very physically uh, threatening and imposing. Uh, and I want to watch Vikings because I want to see his, his fighting style. But I, I bet he'd be able to pull off Omega Red really well. Um, I don't know much else about him. Um, but everything I've heard about Vikings is amazing that people love the show. So I, and I didn't hear anything bad about his character, what Bjorn Yorn. Um, so I feel like he did a good job. Um, I just need to see more from him. So I, you know, um, I'm going to come back to this after I watch Vikings, How you know, we'll, we'll do a revisit on this episode. Um, but I, as far as his look, I think he could pull off the Omega red very well. So, and then after that, uh, hold on, guys. We're going to take a quick break. And welcome back. Uh, we just had to take a quick break due to some technical difficulties, but we are back in action. Um, I just wrapped up my pick on my my villain uh, with Omega Red. And now, Damon, let's hear your next two picks. All right. So um, before I jump into my next pick, I wanted to talk about my plot real quick. <clears throat> Um, basically I am kind of working with the rough draft of the title. I'm thinking X-Men Genesis and, uh, it's just kind of the aftermath of the, the Genesis of the, the beginning of the X-Men in this universe. Um, and I'm kind of going with, um, it's kind of tied to the, uh, reverse house of M sort sort of, um, I'm thinking in WandaVision, uh, she's kind of going to be <clears throat> colliding so many different universes together. And I think it's just going to be kind of a mess. And I feel like that's what multiverse madness might be. Uh, Dr. Strange kind of putting it all back, weaving through it and, and figuring it all out. And maybe at maybe the end is like, it's impossible to put it back 
completely. And so their universe is forever changed. And one change is the X gene is now a part of their universe, whereas maybe it wasn't before. Yeah. So it awakens in everyone. And so you have this mass genesis of new mutants everywhere, mass paranoia. A lot of people are scared. It creates a lot of hate and violence very quickly. Um, And so we're kind of in this very volatile state in this beginning of this movie. Okay. And so we start with our Cyclops, Cameron Monaghan. He's on the run. Um, We don't really know about why or much from who, but um, he's doing a really difficult job of pretty much traveling by almost being blind because he's not really able to see very well since, you know, every time he opens his eyes, he's going to blast at somebody. Um, But, you know, he's on his way down to New Orleans to where he's um, trying to find this uh, activist that's uh, doing a speech down there. And of course, he's trying to do this while hiding away from these people who's trying to chase him. It's uh, just this group of crazy mutants themselves. And uh, it's been a couple of weeks at least. And uh, so what we see is they find him on the train and we get a little shuffle of them running and getting out. And eventually he's able to get away and get back onto another train and escape. And that's when we cut to the he or him arriving in New Orleans. And uh, it's pretty quick when we get him back to when we get him to uh, where he needs to be. He uh, finds this uh, protest going on. And, um, you know, he's seeing all these people, um, mutants, mutant allies, uh, protesting, holding signs and just, you know, listening and and yelling in agreement to the speaker. And uh, as he lays eyes on the speaker, we see that it's Beast, Mm. Hank McCoy. I love that. And uh, Dr. Hank McCoy in this universe is played by Michael Sheen. Oh, wow. I have not heard that name in a minute. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. So first off, you're missing out on one of the best TV sh- new TV shows that just came out. Oh, is it good? Uh, Prodigal. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, was, I thought you were going to say Good Omens, which I also love that. But I do need to check out um, Prodigal Son for sure. Good Omens was fantastic. And I love that. But Prodigal Son, you see his very maniacal side. He's a serial killer. And also a surgeon. Oh, wow. Uh, that's his serial killer name, the surgeon. And he's he's so creepy in it and so great. Um, and I love thinking about that. And then his role in Good Omens. And you're seeing that warmth he's able to do. And he's able to, to light up a room with his eyes. And really, he just looks intelligent. Yeah, you know, like... For sure. This, like, wiseness, this wisdom about him. Yeah. Um, so I think he would play a very good beast because um, he can play that vicious and that violent temperament when he needs to, you know? I mean, he was a werewolf in the Underworld series. Right. So uh, he, he's, uh, he's going to have no problem doing that. And then, you know, when he's going to be able to be the mentor and the, the studious professor, he's going to be able to do that as well because he's so well-spoken. Um, so... Getting back to the plot, he's talking, he, he's doing this speech. He's telling everyone that they, you know, they deserve their rights. It's beautiful. Also, I'm not even going to try to say anything of what he's going to say because <laughs> it's not sound as good. Um, but also, as it's going on, Scott notices the person behind him, this very, very pretty redhead. And he's just enamored. 
And of course it's Jean Grey, but we don't really know this at the moment. And so the speech is going on when suddenly an attack goes down and it's the group again. And, you know, it kind of gets crazy. Uh, there's a lot of pandemonium. Pe a couple people get attacked. Scott's trying to figure out what to do. He's kind of hiding, kind of wanting to help, um, but doesn't know how. And uh, one of the marauders, who the group is, by the way, uh, hits them and attacks them. And uh, it's Arclight, which is able to, uh, uh, she's able to send vibrations and kind of mess up with people's, uh, you know, balance. And essentially just, it's almost like Quake from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., right. but maybe not to that level of, it, of intensity or of extremity. Right. Um, but, you know, Scott's knocked down, kind of confused and bruised. And before anything else is able to happen, Arclight is knocked back herself. And it's Gene who's coming by to rescue him. Uh, as he's kind of, you know, fades out unconscious. Mm. And so we cut and then we go to our next um, scene in there in some house. Apparently Hank took them along with some of the other mutants that were hurt to his place um, to help them out, get them bandaged, just have them a safe place right now since they, you know, were kind of shocked at what happened. Um, Scott wakes up on a sofa. He's just kind of, you know, coming to. Um, so, but before that, I want to get to my next pick before I just keep on rambling. Um, I wanted to talk about my villain next. Okay. okay? <clears throat> so I loved your pick of Omega Red. I wanted to go with possibly my, okay, probably my second favorite villain of the X-Men. And that's going to be Mr. Sinister. <gasps> oh, I love this. Yes. Um, Nathaniel Essex, uh, he is a brilliant biologist and, um, he, he was a contemporary in the, in the comics of, uh, Charles Darwin. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he goes crazy with obsession of power and trying to learn the science and the, um, the secrets to the human body and how to, you know, stretch it to its limit. And he actually ends up making a deal with my favorite X-Men, you know, uh, character, well, villain apocalypse yeah. and uh, he's the one who grants him his abilities he's essentially immortal um he has super strength he has um telepath uh, telekinesis uh, tele telekinetic powers to extent and he's just extremely brilliant and vicious that's why his name is mr sinister um but that doesn't exactly happen in this movie um it's going to be a little bit different but I just wanted to go into that real quick so people have an idea of who Mr. Sinister is if they don't. But I wanted to cast someone who's very, has a very vicious smile, very wicked smile, um, great with words. They have a very um, almost, um, what's the word, showboat mentality, you know, while also not having to be the loudest one in the room. Um, they can do it with just looks and a couple of words. Um, and so for Mr. Sinister... I wanted to go with David Tennant. Oh my God. Good Omens reunion. <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, we already know how much chemistry those two have. So when we see Mr. Sinister and Beast on the screen together, it's going to be a lot of fun. And um, I wanted to have Mr. Sinister in this because he's connected to a lot of the characters that we chose for this yeah. movie. Um, very directly. I mean, him and Scott Summers 
if you know X-Men, you know what their deal is. Um, Scott goes back in time to try to stop them. And from there, Nathaniel Essex is just obsessed. And he even um, is, you know, he controls a little, or he even becomes a, I believe he is the boy, or he controls a boy at the orphanage that Scott grows up yes. at. Yeah. I, I can't remember which of the two, but I, yeah, great story. Yes, it's it's a time paradox story that I, I you know I can't get enough of. So we're gonna kind of delve into that, but we won't get into the time travel part of it. But I, I think David Tennant would be a brilliant choice to add to the MCU. Um, we saw him in the MCU, well, in the Marvel universe as the Purple Man, yeah. Jessica Jones, and I, I love that role. Oh, what yeah. did you think of it? Uh, one of the most sadistic uh, villains we've seen yet in the. I'll say MCU just because I guess they count, but I, I, I like that he's still available to use because, you know, the, the Netflix shows have still really not been referenced in these movies. So, um, yeah, he's perfect as Purple Man. I love David Tennant so much. Great actor. I mean, I, I love the Doctor. I love the 11th Doctor. Yeah. He's, he's so good. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, 10th Doctor. I don't know why I said 11th. Um, but anyways, um, so I, I love his viciousness, you know, when he gets really sadistic and evil like barty crouch uh, Bar, uh i can't talk today man <laughs> barty crouch, uh, crouch jr yeah it was great you know he's a little over the top which i think will be great with mr sinister and uh yeah i i just like that man he what do you think about that? he has a quality of like chewing the scenery that's kind of rare these days i think um you know because it's very easy to chew scenery and go over the top with it and then just like it's very easy to become disconnected from the performance, but I think David Tennant is just like, I mean, you mentioned Barty Crouch is a perfect example. I'll, I'll say just outright like Goblet of Fire is one of my least favorite of the Harry Potter movies, just because of a lot of the stuff that they left out from the book. But he, um, I thought he was like a perfect choice for Barty, Barty Crouch Jr. All I can think of is the hello father, like just the over the top performances and the, uh, the pensive scene. And um, yeah, he's, he's great. He, uh, yeah, we mentioned Good Omens, Doctor Who. I mean, he's he's got an incredible filmography already. Um, and I think that when you let him play the villain, it's not often, but once he gets that kind of role, that meaty kind of sadistic uh, sadistic role, he just, I mean, takes off with it. Um, so this is a really good call. Mr. Sinister is such a fascinating character to me. Um I won't say too much because I did cast my villain already, but I might have some post credit thoughts involving this character. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, but yeah, also really love Michael Sheen for Beast. I love that, you know, when, so when Damon and I talked about who we wanted in this movie, we stayed away from, I guess, what you could call like the big three, you know, Wolverine, Professor X, and Magneto. Um, love those three characters, but they, you know, in the, in the X-Men films we've gotten, they have been the focal points. And so we wanted to give some love to other characters. And so I love that just from the sound of it, from how you described him already, Hank McCoy is kind of filling that Professor X role a little bit. You know, he he's yeah. this very outspoken act activist. Um, incredibly timely, by the way. I really love the way this story is going. Um, I love that it's in NOLA, of course. <laughs> Shout out to NOLA. Um, <laughs> because of two more of our characters that we'll be casting, I, I, that's perfect. Um I like the way that you're setting up Scott and, and Gene. This is like, it's funny. I was going to say one of my favorite picks of your cast, but my favorite pick is like your plot so far. Like this is really interesting so far. <laughs> well, 
thank you. Like it to be completely honest. Okay, so everyone, we we had to do like a take a like a a day and a half break in between. Uh, you know, we had to, you know, it happens. But in between, I'm like when we were doing the podcast first, I had the plot halfway thought of, and I was like rapidly trying to finish it as the podcast was going. <laughs> so like really, I it was a, a you know very thankful that th- that happened so I could finish it. So I. I think you're going to like the rest of it. Oh, man, I'm excited. <laughs> um, so, uh, your next pick, Yeah, man. so that being said, I'll jump um, on to my next pick. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and roll with uh, one of my favorite uh, X-Men, uh, Kurt, Kurt Wagner, or the Nightcrawler. Um, he is, for me, he's one of the just the absolute uh, highlights of the original X-Men series, especially in X2. He's got that incredible opening sequence. Um I also really like the kid who played him in the, the prequel movies. We didn't see a lot of him, but he I liked him a lot in uh, X-Men Apocalypse. Um, but that being said, uh, yeah, Kurt Wagner is uh, he is um, he has the ability to teleport. Um, he just has to be able to visualize where he's going. He is uh, like a blue demon type character in the comics. He is um, the child of Mystique. Um he has like this uh, this cool looking tail thing, just a really like visually striking character. Um, and so for this for this character, I wanted to go with someone who uh, he's a younger actor, like I'm going with a lot of my cast. Um, but he he has a very distinct look to him, which I think is important with this kind of character. Um, and he, at a very young age, has already just displayed a lot of really great acting talent. Um, so I'm going to go with uh, Asa Butterfield. Um, ooh, ooh. Yeah, Asa Butterfield. He's known for, um, you know, the, uh, his role in Ender's Game. Um, he, if you're, I, I really hope anyone who's listening has seen the show Merlin. Um, he has a great kind of small role in that show um, before he really broke out. Um, really, really great show. Um, yeah, Asa is a fairly young actor. I think he's like 23 um but he's really really just impressed me in this in the things i've seen him in i remember back in the day he was a lot of people's picks for peter parker um i think that would be an interesting call but i think that he just he has a very it's a really hard to explain quality about him just kind of out there you know he has a just a very different qualities to him that kind of sets him apart um he's also in uh i think the movie's called the space between us um really really interesting movie uh about like this kid who um, I think it was like he had some kind of uh, disease that prevented him from like interacting with the outside world or something like that. And he ends up kind of escaping and, and what have you. It's a little bit of like a, you know, I think it was a book. It's a Y adaptation and kind of like a a coming of age story, but he just, I don't know. It's it's hard to explain, but Asa just has this really great, great quality. He's very endearing, um, especially in Ender's game. Um, I like that movie. I, uh, I know there's a lot of big fans of the book who weren't crazy about the movie, but I thought he, he was excellent in the movie. Um, and I think with Nightcrawler, Nightcrawler is a very, very different character. Um, he's very religious and spiritual. And, uh, again, he has that incredible, incredible superpower that would be really fun to see on the screen. Um, and this, in this version of the story, uh, much like Scott and Gene, he's also kind of on the run, having just newly discovered these powers. Um, 
I am sticking with the kind of the the well-known mythos of the character that he is um, with a circus uh, when the story starts, um, kind of being exploited for his abilities. They, you know, they just want people to see this, uh, this kind of the circus freak who can teleport and he, you know, he looks like a, a bit of a demon. Um, so he, he feels like he isn't being treated very well there. So he kind of escapes and uh, he meets up with Scott and Gene. Um, and really he's going to be kind of like the, whereas they're all kind of young characters, he's going to be the real, like the portrayal of innocence in this movie as they're all coming together. Um, he's kind of the kid brother character. He'd be a bit of the comic relief as well. Um, and yeah, I just think the, the character is such a badass in the comics and he, uh, um, you know, he's very important to the team, not only because of that cool power, but he also is kind of a, a moral center for the team. A lot of the times, um, like I said, he's very spiritual, very, um, in touch with, uh, with that. And so I think that he could be a, a bit of a moral compass for the team. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I love Asa. I think that at a young age, he's just really impressed me so far. Um, and, you know, we're, we're casting these in, in vision of seeing them for years, you know, in these roles. And I think that Asa Butterfield would really benefit from a, a big role like this, you know. Wow. Like when you said that it clicked like immediately, <laughs> um, I love that pick. It, it makes total sense. Um, so my first for, for uh, my first go into his career was the boy in the striped pajamas, which I will never, oh, ever watch again. Yeah. The second movie in the world. Yep. But I remember just how good both of the boys were in that movie. Like I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it right now. <laughs> yeah. And then recently I have watched him in sex, uh, sex education, the Netflix show. Yes. And the main character. And he's so good in that. Um, he's awkward, but funny and goofy and silly, but he's able to, to show a lot of emotion. And, um, you know, he has a lot of, he does a lot of, you know, I wouldn't say physical comedy, but he, he talks a lot with his whole body. Yes. You know, so I think that would be really cool with Nightcrawler. Um, he is a very religious character. And the idea of having him as the, the young brother of the group, I really like that idea of that dynamic. It almost kind of brings me back to uh, X-Men Evolution, the animated TV mm, show. Yeah, underrated show for sure. Super underrated. Um, one of my favorites, actually. Yeah. Um, this works really well, I think, with Dylan O'Brien also. I think, like, just, I think they would be good friends off screen, and I think it would work really well on screen. Um, I really, oh man, I really like that because. As he grows, as he grows, he could become such a cool, interesting nightcrawler. Especially like, you know, if he's badass with the swords. Mm, um, yeah. You know exactly what happens with Mystique. Is he going to be tired of Mystique in this? You know, um, right. I love that casting. Um, give me more, man. I, I really want to see who you got next. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah. So, just a little bit more about the plot. Um, so, yeah, Kurt is going to run into at this point. Scott and Gene have already kind of um, sort of teamed up. They have had that, you know, the first act uh, conflict with with Omega Red, and um, after that, they're you know, this is in many ways going to be a bit of a road trip movie. Um, it's just all these characters like they're not really on the run per se, but they are just like constantly on the move because again, they're all because of what just happened with Wanda. They are.
Hey, y'all. We're back. Sorry about that. Um, but uh, we're going to jump right back into it. And uh, where we left off, I believe, was Kyle was telling us about uh, Nightcrawler and his Ace of Butterfield pick and a little bit about the plot. And uh, so who are you going to be drafting next, man? Okay, yeah. So um, once again, you know, this is a really just a, a road trip kind of family movie, right? So we have our Cyclops, Dylan O'Brien, we have our Jean Grey as Rose, uh, Rose Leslie, and we have Aza Butterfield who meets these two. They kind of take them under their wing. Um, they're all young, but he's a little bit younger than them. And so he's our bit of our like our innocent kid brother. Um, and so they start kind of this makeshift family. Um, Gene and Scott are still kind of ha- they still kind of have a, a butting heads. Well, they will they relationship that I think would be really fun. And um, I'm going to go ahead and roll into my next pick. Um, along the way, they also find themselves in New Orleans. Um I love that Damon and I both picked this. I think it's, I mean, you, you kind of have to when you have two of our, our picks or our cast members. Um, but also, I mean, I've got to represent as much as I can in New Orleans. Uh, um, so with this next pick, uh, they end up in New Orleans. And once again, they're still on the run from Omega Red. They're still figuring out their powers. And uh, along the way, um, Scott is met with Gene. And so he, went off on his own for a second and he comes across uh, a girl and uh, she, they get to talking and um, she seems kind of withdrawn and trying to keep to herself. And he's just trying to strike up conversation. Um, She uh, tries to walk away or she, you know, seems distressed and he, you know, he's, he's trying to console her and he's concerned and he tries to grab her hand. And as he grabs it, uh, he, you can see that he's in like immense physical pain, starts to lose some energy. Um, this is, of course, our beloved Rogue. Uh, I've got to say, one of my personal favorite X-Men, fun facts, uh, probably the first <laughs> comic book related crush I had growing up was the, the Rogue in the, uh, the classic X-Men animated series. You just love a Southern Belle. Um, <laughs> and so for Rogue, I am going to go with uh, an, also a relatively new name. She's only been, you know, kind of a big name for the last couple of years or so. I'm going to go with uh, Zoe Deutsch. Um, she is uh, she's known for stuff like, let's see, um, movies like uh, I think it's called Before I Wake. Um, she is in Zombieland 2. She plays, I uh, can't remember her name, but the blonde kind of. Uh, airhead <laughs> character if you've seen that movie yep. um exactly she, that character <laughs> yeah exactly um i think that she is just you know you mentioned uh sarah sarah ronan um i think that they're kind of talked about in the same breath a lot uh as just being these two new very exciting names in hollywood um uh Miss Ronan has has kind of find, found herself more in like some uh, prestigious Oscar roles, and Zoe, I just really appreciate like she has really kind of like made her way and made a name for herself in a lot of um, indie picks. She's also in a movie called Flower that um, also stars uh, Adam Scott. Uh, really interesting movie. She is is just fantastic in that movie. She's in the show The Politician with uh, my boy Ben Platt. Um, she's just really. I've seen season one. I have yet to see season two. Um, it's on the list, <laughs> but season one is fantastic. I, I love, I love that show. Um, I'll watch anything with Ben Platt. Uh, yeah. She, she's also in the disaster artist, the film about Tommy Wiseau. Um, 
she's really made her, a name for herself in kind of these these under the radar indie flicks. Um, and this is also this is a bit of a running theme for me in these podcasts. But I think that I, I just want to give these kind of independent actors like a chance to really blow up in these big uh, franchise roles. And uh, I think that she's just a great pick for Rogue. Rogue is, um, like I mentioned, one of my favorite X-Men. She is just a, a very feisty character, kind of that Southern Belle, and of course has such an interesting power. You know, she's able to um, like uh, suck away uh, people's, not really life force, I guess, but their, pa- their powers. And so she, um, you know, she's got that defining, distinguishing um, gray streak in her hair just a really interesting character. Um, and uh, I think that we did get a little bit of her, you know, in the original movies, obviously Anna Paquin was great um, in the very first X-Men movie, but we did after that, we didn't really get to see a lot with her. Um, and so I'd love to see kind of a more excellent exploration of this character, especially because we also have Gambit who, you know, we'll get to eventually, but um, uh, you know, a fun fact is that she initially debuted um, in an Avengers comic as a villain. Um, she was, uh, she had been taken in by Mystique and uh, at one point actually took on the name Raven as her last name. So she has this really solid relationship with Mystique. Um, and a lot of it had to do with just her feeling like an outcast. Um, and the X-Men kind of gave her that family that she really needed. Um and so I think that this would be a lot of like the heart of the movie um, rogue really being kind of that outcast character. She really doesn't trust anyone. Um, she is coming from a really bad home life and kind of on the run. Also, like I said, with all these, all these characters discovering these new powers with her, especially, you know, with, with Scott, it's kind of tough because he <laughs> is blind most of the time. Can't control what he's doing with his eyes. With dream, uh, Jean, she has an incredible amount of, power but with with rogue i think it especially is tough because she can't you know come into contact with anyone um everything she does is is causing other people pain and so she really starts to feel very like outcast and very on her own and so the beating heart of this movie is going to be about her trying to find her place and and really starting to trust this kind of you know makeshift family um and so, yeah, she the first person she meets is Scott, but then, you know, eventually she teams up with them in fighting Omega Red. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I love Rogue. I think that um, you can't have an X-Men movie without her. She, especially having her and Gambit. Um, and I just, I would love to see more, kind of more of her in live action because we've only really seen a glimpse of her in, you know, the first X-Men movie. And then I really actually enjoyed the, uh, the rogue cut of days of future past, but even that, you know, left me just wanting more. And so more rogue all day. <laughs> um, so personally, first off, I wanted to say I wasn't the biggest fan of rogue in the original trilogy ser- series. Um, Anna mm-hmm. Paquin's great. I love her as Suki, uh, and true yeah. one. Right. But- I felt like they didn't show who Rogue was. She was very timid and very almost, you know, traumatized and bashful, you know, uh, whereas Rogue, as you said, she's feisty. She's sassy. Um, she's fun. She likes to um, do you just, you know, be be who she is. You know, she really doesn't like to hide. You know, she her powers really didn't affect her as much as the movie you really dove into, in my opinion. You know, right, right. Um, 
which really was a big plot point of the movies. She mm-hmm. wanted to go get the cure in the third one. Um, so, but with this being said, I think your pick of Zoe Deutsch is Deutsch. Deutsch, um, yeah, is amazing pick because from the roles I've seen her in, she has such a positive, bubbly personality. I think that she can be, um, a really good rogue. Um, you know, going to give my rogue a really run for her money too. Honestly, um, <laughs> I can see that. Like Zoe plays a very defiant person in. Uh, the politician is Infinity Jackson because she, yeah. you know, she does what she wants no matter what, even if it goes against what she wanted to do even a minute before, you know. <laughs> right. She's very now, now, now. And uh, and I really think Zoe as Rogue would be really fun. Uh, I, I cannot wait to see who you say is Gambit because it's very important to see that chemistry between the two. Mm. Um, but honestly, as she's able to play really well with everyone I've seen her on screen with. Um, so her and Zombieland 2 was really, really great performance, you know. So good. Uh, really good just role player right there, you know. Not a lot of minutes, but she killed it. Um, yeah. Okay, okay. So Roe gets brought in because Scott touches her, correct? To try yes. and come to help her? Okay. Essentially, he discovers, yeah, that something's going on with this girl. And so they try and help her. And a lot of, yeah, a lot of the story is really just her trying to, you know, work it out on her own. And then, you know, trying to help her. And they eventually come together in the the third act. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm digging your story, uh, especially with the Omega Red as the villain and them kind of going on a road trip. Okay. Um Anything else for you, man? Is is uh, am I good to go? Because I'm I'm ready for my next pick. Yes, sir. Yeah, I'm excited. I want to hear what you got next. Okay, so of course uh, we are at Hank McCoy's uh, house estate, um, his place in New Orleans. Uh, we have Scott waking up. He's a bit bandaged up, and he's you know kind of getting acquainted with everyone else there. They're kind of sharing stories, um, talking about where they're from and why they're there. Um, And eventually it gets to Scott who tells his story, you know, and as he is, as he's doing so, well, you know, he grew up in an orphanage and everything. Uh, Gene comes over and is very interested in the story, you know, and you get a lot of cuts between the two eye contact and what have you. And then (laughs) once it's done and everything, you know, they, he kind of moves over and they start talking them to each other alone, you know, and they just introduce each other. Um, you know, we start getting a real good bond between the two, the very beginning of Scott and Jean, you know, he thanks him for helping, uh, for saving him. She's like, that's the only thing she could have done. There was nothing else she could do. Um, you, you kind of see the, the base of who they are as people and why they would like each other, even at the very beginning. And this will be very important going forward for the entire X-Men universe, probably for the Avengers, uh, because Gene's going to be an Avenger one day, I feel like, has to oh, be. 100%, 100%, yeah. Like, easy. Um, so, this is happening. Um, Hank eventually comes over, talks, you know, they meet and everything. Um, Scott talks about his eyes and everything and why he's, you know, very unable to barely see anything. This brings Hank to go uh, go away once more rather quickly. You know, he's like, he has to go take care of something. So, <laughs> that happens. And uh, we get some more bonding. And then let me cut to what happens next in my story. 
I wrote like a lot of pages. <laughs> um, we follow, okay, here we go. So that happens. We follow the Marauders back to their crib, which is apparently somewhere in New Orleans. And it's a lab, a very nice secretive lab. And they find at this, uh, this table, a mutant being dissected. Uh, he has scales for skin and he's uh, unconscious. And who's working on him is Mr. Sinister in a nice lab coat and guns and all, with, but with his white skin. For while he is not really a mutant, he did not get changed by Apocalypse, he is, does have alien technology and biology on his side. Um, you know, and he's been, I'm saying he was born somewhere in maybe the early, like really like early 1900s, maybe late 1800s in this universe. And uh, he kind of, he really works through that. And once the, uh, the Nazis hit along with Red Skull and all of that technology begins, he's able to get his hands on some and he's really able to start building on his own biology. And so that's why he's still alive and kicking in, in the world today. And of course, it's perfect because now mutants exist. And this is just kind of what he was waiting for. You know, th this just large plethora of mutants that he can just pick and dissect, work on, and, and you know, really find the secrets of not just human biology now, but of mutant biology. And so that's what he's doing here. Uh, the Marauders, um, if you know anything about them, you know, it's this group of mutants that essentially do the dirty work for uh, Mr. Sinister. And right. so it's a group of a bunch of different uh, mutants. I believe I, I decided I was going to go with uh, Arclight. It's the mutant who was uh, attacking Scott, is able to release shockwaves, cause disorientation, cause objects to shatter. I wanted to go with, um, let's see, Blockbuster, a superhuman strong mm -hmm. mutant. Uh, Love yes. Blockbuster. Can stand up to punches from Thor. I wanted to go with Riptide, a brutally evil man, spin his body at superhuman speeds, fling out shurikens. You know, shurikens are great. Um, <laughs> anytime I can add that into there, um, I'm going to do it. And then, of course, we have Vertigo, who is um, from the Savage Land, which will be maybe an important key in the future of these movies. Mm. Um, but she has the ability to psionically induce a sensation of vertigo and others, you know, they have no idea what's up and down, left and right. They're just, they're not really able to do much of anything. Um, so they're there, you know, they report to Sinister. They have a talk about what happened. They, they didn't get Scott, but cause of Gene and Sinister is very intrigued by Gene. And so they t talk about her and everything. So he decides that they're going to go find them, you know, and he's sure he's sure where they are there with Hank. And so he calls Remy out Remy, mm. and he comes from another room and it's Gambit. Yes. He's ready to go. Cause he is one of the marauders. Uh, he was just, he wasn't with the gang because he was taking care of business in new Orleans. He doesn't like to leave new Orleans if he doesn't have to. <laughs> this home after all he loves it um and my gambit um is 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 also i wanted to skew on the younger side um so he could be here for as long as possible and i wanted a person who is really just hitting his stride of stardom right now he's so eclectic so flamboyant so fun and lovely 
Um, I wanted someone who can play charismatic and like suave while also, you know, can be kind of a, a jerk, you know? So I wanted uh Taryn Edgerton. My fave. <laughs> XZ, my boy. Um, <laughs> so quick, quick story. I went to see Kingsman with one of my friends, Taylor, and I was so happy that I went and saw it, even though my girlfriend at the time wanted me to wait to go see it with her <laughs> and saw it with him first. And then I went and saw it again with her. So, but it was so worth it. That movie, you already talked about the scene in it with, in the church. Oh, so good. It doesn't have anything to do with my boy, Eggsy. Eggsy just shines throughout the movie, you know, um, He's able to do so much good choreography. He looks good in a suit. He's going to look amazing as Gambit, dude. Like yeah. the 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 you know the hair, the eyes, him and the bow staff throwing the cards, his little smirk. Oh yeah, perfect. I think, in my opinion, for Gambit, he's just he's going to have that swag, you know. So, what do you think? While he's yeah, he he is phenomenal as uh, as Eggsy, but also you know. Gambit is a is a sarcastic mofo, and let's not forget. I mean, Taron Edgerton has played the king of sass, Elton John himself. I mean, yeah, so this is perfect. Uh, I've seen a lot of people trying to fan cast him for the next Wolverine, and um, I think that's a decent pick. But I think, yeah, if if anyone he if he is going to play anyone in this universe, it's got to be Gambit. He is he's perfect. Um, he I agree. He really has just kind of hit stardom recently. Um, obviously, Kingsman was the big one that plummeted him to, to fame, but I'm also a big fan of Eddie the Eagle. Um, he and Hugh Jackman, Wolverine himself, are fantastic in that movie. Um, yeah, great in the Kingsman movies. Uh, I honestly think, I, I don't remember if he did receive one, but I definitely think he deserved an Oscar nomination for Rocket Man. Um, just a, yeah, really, really great up-and-coming actor. And Gambit, it really is all about like the swag and the and the the sass and being a little bit of a dick but still very kind of a lovable dick and uh he's perfect for this i love it and i love that he's in the marauders too that's a great introduction to the character right i i wanted to stay true to who gambit is and he's kind of a slimy kind of guy in the beginning before he really realizes who he wants to be and he really once he does he really becomes a good good x-men and an ally for them um yeah but I really want to show that struggle and show how terrible of a person he could be. Maybe go just have some, some uh, Zuko redemption style going on, you know? Yes. I have him there and sinister is telling him to go with the Marauders and attack Hank's place. And so of course we cut back to them and it's nighttime and they're talking and everything. And uh, it's just more bonding, right? And uh, you see a shot of Nightcrawler in the corner, chilling. Because mm. uh, he is, of course, he was one of the people in the protest. But he's staying into himself for the most part. Um, kind of just meditating almost. And he's chilling. But uh, we get that shot. And then we get back to Scott, who uh, is talking now to Hank, who just shows up. And he gives him a present. And it's a pair of glasses. And he puts them on and he says that they, and of course they are, you know, very nice rose quartz, very beautiful. And, and of course it's, it's able for, to, uh, to let Scott see without shooting blast continuously. And of course right. they're fitted to, if he wants to, he can switch them into a visor, uh, style and 
ready to fight with, you know, just in to to control the beam rather to channel it more, you know, you know, you'll have the functional and then the practical. And of course right. he thanks uh, Hank so much. He doesn't even know how, what else to do. Hank gives him this, you know, very great spill about they're together. Now they, you know, the mutants need to be a family in any way they can. Um, they, they deserve everything that they can get. And of course it goes on like this and there's more bonding and we eventually get to where we go. Blah, blah, blah. Um, Hank tells them, okay, here we go. Which of course, right after this is when the Marauders hit the house. Hmm. And so we get another attack scene, another fight scene. It's chaotic once more. There's people already injured. So they're already trying to get moved. Um, and this is where Nightcrawler springs to attack. Nightcrawler begins um, pretty much teleporting everyone that's hurt and not able to fight out as quickly as possible. So we get a tons of really great Nightcrawler scenes and getting to see his moving, his jumping and, and action, you know, yeah. before we really get, even know who he is. Um, we don't even know who his name or we haven't even heard him say anything so far. Um, during throughout this, he's, he's maybe saying quick little quips, you know, just saying, I'm, you know, just helping out. Um, as this is going on, the Marauders are attacking and the ones that are able to fight mainly Gene and Cyclops now, who is actually able to do something, right. um, a renewed sense of confidence with these glasses. And it's already in visor mode, baby. He's, he's going at it. And <laughs> Hank, of course, is throwing down himself. Um, and he's no slouch. Um, he's a rather big guy. I don't think I want the beast to be like massive. I want it to be maybe, I'd say the size that they kind of went with in first class and days of futures past, right. About, you know, that, that was a very good size. It was, it was definitely larger, but not, it was, it wasn't just like a gorilla esque. I don't mm-hmm. want to do that. Um, so that's going down. We get to see, um, the birth of Cyclops, of course. Uh, it's rough, but inspiring. He's fending off, fending off several of the Marauders. And then he's doing good until Gambit shows himself, who is, you know, just kind of poking around with a couple of the other people. And that's when we get some fun Gambit Scott action. A lot of fun. He, you know, he's fighting with the boat staff. Scott's kind of <laughs> trying to fend it off and he's getting hit a lot. He's trying <laughs> to a little couple blasts here and there without like, killing the guy but you know stopping him uh you get some gambit <laughs> quips of course you know he's just like saying this is what you're doing like this is kind of fun you know we should do this more often <laughs> um everything like that and then gene once again comes to the rescue and we get to see some more gene she's still herself a novice and she hasn't even really scratched the surface of her powers but it's clearly like visible that she is so powerful uh and we just see you know very small amount here as she kind of knocks gambit on his ass into a wall um the house already is kind of kind of starting to fall apart there's a couple fires here and there um from gambit's explosions and everything um arc light was causing a couple of tremors so the house is not stable um and so we get that going on and the house is now burning down, of course. 
and we get Nightcrawler who pops up eventually, finally, towards Scott, who himself is kind of dazed and confused once more on the ground. Um, that's not going to happen anymore. I, I promise. Scott's <laughs> getting his ass knocked out. Okay. But, you know, Nightcrawler says something funny. He takes him out and helps him. Um, he won't leave it without Gene, of course. Right. So we get Nightcrawler action. He pops in and goes to work on Gabbett himself. Who's, you know, getting up from the wall and is starting to fight Gene once more. Um, and of course, Gene's not a very skilled fighter at this moment. She's just trying to stop Gambit any way she can, uh, moving objects in his, her way and his way, uh, you know, kind of throwing them back with kind of pr- propulsions, you know? Um, so with that, of course we get Gam- uh, Nightcrawler in it on Gambit and we get that fight really quick. It's, you know, a qu- bunch of quick jumps back and forth between uh, Gambit's back, confusing the hell out of him, And it confuses him enough that he gets once again thrown thrown away and knocked out uh, temporarily and they're able to make a jump and they all teleport away. So that scene's over, right? We get the Marauders to go back to Mr. Sinister's uh, lab. They talk about what happened and apparently they were able to grab a patient or two. I mean, not a patient, uh, two of the mutants that were hurt. They were able to snatch a couple and get away with them, unfortunately. So they, they put them up and Sinister's pleased though very upset that they weren't able to get Scott or Gene, you know? So talk is brought up about, you know, he needs to really start pulling his weight. He's kind of been slacking a lot and Gambit just kind of brushes it off in the Gambit way. You know, he's just not really caring at all about what Mr. Sinister is talking about. And uh, he's just kind of toying with his bow staff. And uh, so they won't, Mr. Sinister won't Hank McCoy to be killed and all of them now. So they're dismissed and, we get a Marauders to talk about talks to uh, talk amongst themselves. We get them to talk about how why Gambit is even there and like if he he even cares. Of course, they're pretty much echoing uh, Sinister, right? Mm. Gambit brushes them off. He doesn't even care. He you know he's just kind of shuffling his deck of cards. He's gonna get out of there. He's really kind of just not digging the scene anymore. He walks through New Orleans and we get a nice kind of shot of the life of New Orleans at night. You yes. know, vibrant. It's it's a party. It's it's lively. It's live music. So many people drinking and dancing and laughing, um, you know. And eventually, he finds his uh, favorite place there called the Frisky Mermaid, and it's just this great live bar with tons of live music, dancers, and all the ladies he could look at. Because Gambit is a bit of a player, he he, he likes to peruse, and of course, so he's he's doing his uh, his browsing and watching and just enjoying a drink. And finally, his eyes find what he's looking for, a girl dancing all by herself, an invisible bubble around her, though. You know, confidence is just dripping from her, yet no one would go anywhere near her. Some are even giving her side-eyed glances, you know. But Gambit knows it all too well. He, he, you know, he, he, get, he knows the vibe that these people are giving off. He's, he's seen it tons of times, even given towards him uh, when people find out what he is. Um, but you know, the girl actually seems to be digging it. Um, so Remy decides to go and make him, uh, self, uh, known. He moves over to the dance floor and introduces himself and they start dancing and they get closer and closer while rogue, you know, starts distancing, ah, distancing herself. And it's a really cool, intense dance scene while Gambit tries to, you know, 
get in close while Rogue just continuously backs up and moves and slides and wiggles away. It's just a cute little, you know, fun, playful dance scene between the two as a really fun cute meet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> cute. I mean, cute. I don't know what the hell cute meet is. <laughs> um, so that happens. And we cut to the two getting drinks, laughing, flirting some more, you know, t- kind of getting to know each other a little bit, but not really. There's nothing really being shared between the two. This is just a lot of light flirting and because they want to go towards the future of the night. Um, but finally, the subject comes up with what Rogue's powers are, you know, because uh, Gambit knows what she was. Uh, he, he was just able to tell, right? He... Um, and so he ex- she explains talking about how great you know how she's able to drain the life force of someone in a sense you know it's like a fragment of someone's energy you know their essence almost for a moment and he she explains that remy Rem- is it remy or remy i always get that mixed up i think it's remy remy okay like the rat yeah. <laughs> like the rat. <laughs> um let's see him uh, he re- hating the idea of not being able to kiss this girl that he was so desperate to kiss takes it as a challenge. <laughs> uh, we cut to the two outside still flirting, you know, rather, rather drunk. Now the rogue is admittedly a little more reserved, you know, she's still kind of holding back, trying to keep distance. Um, but then, you know, all of a sudden Remy surprises her and kisses her without any warning. And of course we know what happens then <laughs> he's not Okay. And uh, he, he's he's just kind of kind of weak and kind of drained, you know. So Rogue has to Rogue takes his jacket and puts it on so that she wouldn't be touching him, and kind of leads him back to uh, to his to her place, right? And they laugh some more, and they talk, and it just kind of fades away. But we know what happens at the end of that night. They, um, but. I have to tell you who Rogue is. Yes. Set all that up because I casted someone who I have seen in several different shows recently in the last few years. And I love her presence. Um, She's able to do a lot of different things, fun, serious, confident, sexy, um, conservative, reserved. Um, I'm talking about Tati Gabrielle. So if you're not familiar with her, she was Gaia in the 100. She's the flame keeper. And then she is in K- in a chaos, the chilling adventures of Sabrina. Oh, okay. Since night. Yes. Um, I wanted to go with the choice to uh, race bend uh, rogue. I wanted rogue to be, to be black in this story too, because honestly, I really wanted to go us to draft a storm but since we didn't get to i i felt like there just needs to be more diversity in the x-men and of course there's plenty but i felt like this was perfect like it was kind of waiting to happen in my opinion mm. a rogue uh, a southern character um i i feel like there's nothing tying her to just being white uh to be completely honest while this would just be able to give it a new fresh turn and change. Um, and you're able to do a lot of parallels because she is a young Southern black woman uh, who is now a mutant. 
And yeah. so it, it adds a, a double intensity to the hate towards her um, because I don't want to shy away from, from that. This, this is a whole allegory of the X-Men to begin with. Um, so I, I kind of just wanted to highlight that in, in a way, you know, um, yeah. also she looks beautiful in white hair. Um, she rocks this great kind of white silver short hair a lot of the times in her roles. And I think that would be a really cool look for Rogue, you know, starting out. Um, and maybe when she grows it out, she has done, you know, very curly hair or also dreadlocks, which I think would be a really cool uh, look for Rogue with the with the hair, brown hair, and then the white, the maybe the white dreadlocks as well. Um, I, I just think it would be a really cool move as far as for the story, for visually. And I, I, I love this actress. Um, have you seen her in anything? I have not. I am actually just right now kind of um, like scrolling her IMDb. Um, the 100 and Chilling Adventures of Sabrina are two big blind spots uh, for, for me. Um, if you saw my list of like must watch series, I mean, it's a, it's a mile long, but those two are, are near the top. Um, and so this is intriguing to me because I have actually never heard of this actress. Um, I just looked up uh, her character on, on Sabrina and yeah, I, I'm digging the white hair um she's gorgeous so yeah this is a really cool pick i agree with everything you said about how it uh there's really no reason for her to be white um and this is interesting i i obviously i can't say much about her her acting talent having never seen her in anything but i like the idea of um bringing someone from something like sabrina who is already familiar with like a genre kind of role um yeah i love this so to give you an idea of her character, Prudence Knight, it's the Cordelia character. Okay, okay. She That's all you had to say. <laughs> the antagonist at first. She she's uh you know the lead of these three sisters, um, and they're kind of bitches, kind of bitchy witches who are like literally trying to make it harder for Sabrina because you know she's half mortal, half witch, right. and they're kind of just testing her and just being you know bullies like teens do and then of course toward as it keeps going she progresses and matures and like cordelia kind of becomes very well liked and becomes even more important uh and she's so she pulls it off easily you know mm, you know yeah. how she, she's doing this she shows a lot of conflict uh, emotionally because she has a lot of ties to the headmaster of the school who is very very evil and dark but she wants his approval. So she shows emotional struggle. She's very talented physically as well. She has a lot of sword fighting scenes. Uh, I don't know how much of it is stunt work, of course, but she looks very, um, she pulls it off very well, at least. So I think as Rogue, I think that would be really cool to see her do that. And it'd give her a chance to enter a great franchise and just see her just boom from there, you know? Uh, yeah. I definitely think you should watch one of those shows just to give a get an idea of what she can bring to the table, Kyle. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, like I said, they're both on the list. I um, it, speaking of Cordelia, I am smack in the middle of my my first watch of of Buffy and Angel. Um, this might have been my what convinced me of what my next series I'm going to binge because um, I have heard a lot of really good things about Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Um, I'm a big fan of the Melissa Joan Hart series. Um, yeah, this is cool. I, I also love the uh, 
<laughs> I love I love the way that she and uh, she and Gamut meet. This is your uh, your plot is really just. This is my favorite thing about your your movie so far. I mean, it's just really coming together really well. Like I told you, man, it just kept hitting me like over and over again as like I was thinking about it and I was like, oh God, I got to write this down, but we're talking. Um, <laughs> yeah, thank you, man. I, I, I was really proud of it and I was, I was hoping it would come through well. So yeah, so I have The Gambit and I have uh, Rogue, right? And I, I, believe, I believe that's uh, your next pick, right? Yes. Um, and what was the name of that that bar that they meet at? the frisky mermaid that's great that's great that gave me such a, a kick that's so funny <laughs> obviously something you can easily find in new orleans yeah for sure <laughs> i actually i actually created that name as a as a pub to have in a harry potter rpg <laughs> that's oh, perfect it would also work very well in this instance so you know very much so yeah <laughs> Um, all right. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and roll into my pick for um, I'm going to go with uh, Hank McCoy. Um, this is obviously a very important character. Um, you know, we have Scott, we have Gene and, and Kurt um, and we have uh, Rogue. I really want to, you know, Scott is, is the quote unquote leader of this group, even though he himself is still finding his way. Um what I really want, you know, I, I have done this a lot already in this episode, but what I really love about the the X-Men prequel uh, movies is their portrayal of Hank McCoy. I think, honestly, that's one of the biggest strengths of those movies. Nicholas Holt was really, really great. And I just think that they, um, they nailed uh, the character so well. He's a really, really smart character, but not necessarily um, that great socially. He's not all there socially. He's uh, very shy and kind of reserved. But you can tell that just his brain is just on another level, right? He is so far ahead of everyone else and always thinking about just a million different things. Um, and so for that, I wanted to go with someone who has portrayed that very well before. Um, currently, that's kind of his most famous role on uh, on a show called The Good Doctor. Um, I'm, of course, going with uh, Freddie Highmore. Um I know him as August Rush. Uh, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, he, of course, you know, going way back to the movie Finding Neverland. Um, he's great in that movie. He's also in, uh, he plays twin brothers in the movie The Spiderwick Chronicles. Really underrated, uh, fun oh, kind wow. of fantasy movie. Great Thank movie. You that movie up. I watched it the other day. So it, good. Ho- it holds up surprisingly well. Um, yeah, he's he's great in that. He he's been around for a while, just kind of killing killing the game. Um, like I said, I love him in August Rush. But yeah, he I mean he's on the Good Doctor right now. Just he plays a, an autistic doctor and just really nails that like kind of um, removed uh, socially, but incredibly smart, right? And uh, also uh, you know another role that kind of portrays that he plays, of course, Norman Bates on the show uh, Bates Motel um underrated as hell yes absolutely you know psycho i've mentioned psycho a lot in this podcast one of my favorites and bates motel is just a fantastic prequel to that um really great show but uh yeah he 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 just nails that really really well he has a very um very kind and like uh soft and approachable quality to him as well um just it really really shines through in his eyes he's a very very good he's very good in acting at like acting with his eyes um 
And uh, I think that that would be important with Hank. Um, I really love the direction you're going with Hank as, as this person who is taking people under his wing and, and caring for mutants who really don't have a home. Um, with this, you know, he himself is someone who is, who's been dis- displaced. Um, a lot like, uh, you know, Kurt, he um, has really been made fun of and kind of outcast because of the fact that, you know, he turns into this big blue beast and uh, um, a lot of it is just not under his control. And so he, um, he meets, uh, he actually meets Kurt first. Um, He attends the circus and uh, you know, while he's watching, he he likes to go to the circus by himself, right? Because he doesn't really have any friends to take or any dates. So he just goes to the circus to kind of get away from, from the lab. He's a, he's a, um, medical intern and he he goes to the circus and sees this incredible act called nightcrawler um but very soon is able to pick up on the fact that this kid kurt really does not enjoy this um at all he is being pretty you know exploited and so uh that night after that act he sees kurt leaving and uh um strikes up a conversation with him and tells him you know great act and kurt's kind of just like uh yeah thanks I, i gotta go he's trying to avoid him and um, Hank, you know, really persists and tells him like, you know, you have, you have an incredible gift and, uh, um, Kurt doesn't see it that way. He thinks that he's just a freak and that, you know, he, he hates that he was born the way he was. And Hank tells him, you know, I have some experience in that department. Um, and, uh, he's able to, you know, it, it, it's, it goes back and forth in the movies of whether he's able to control this, but in this movie, he is very under control of the fact that he can just turn into the beast at, at will um he does so and shows this to to kurt and he says you know you know (laughs) tells him not to be afraid but he just tells him um i understand what it's like to be seen as different and uh to be an outcast and uh he tells him that you know i had the option of either um shutting myself off or using this to help people and uh he tells kurt that uh you had that option as well um, you have an incredible gift, uh, not only because of the way you look, but you um, can do things that no mortal man can. And, uh, you know, you also have the choice of you using that to help people or you can just kind of waste it. That's basically what he says to him. And Kurt initially just kind of sh- shrugs him off. And, he, you know, you don't know what you're talking about, man. That's great that you figured that out. But this is my life. And, you know, just kind of shrugs him off. Um but eventually, um, like I said earlier, Kurt um, runs into Scott and Gene. Um, they form a little mini family, and uh, in one of their fights, their skirmishes with uh, the Omega with Omega Red, um, uh, Hank turns up as well. And uh, they don't know Hank, but Kurt does. And you know, Kurt is Kurt is kind of you know he like I said earlier, he is like the kid brother in this uh, this family, and so everything just kind of amazes and wows him, and it's so. I'm thinking kind of like a, uh, you know, the scene in, in Civil War when Spider-Man sees Ant-Man go big for the first time. Yes. Like, Holy shit. Like that's, that's kind of uh that's, that's Kurt when he watches Beast fighting Omega Red. Uh, he's just like, I didn't know you could fight like that. <laughs> and uh, so uh, that's kind of how they come to meet um, the rest of the group. And, uh, and Hank, you know, is, is he introduces himself to Scott and um, they have a really, really strong friendship just from the get go, just immediately kind of click and they're, they're good buddies. Um, and yeah, Hank is uh, incredibly smart. I think also I'm going to go with him, you know, giving Scott his, his glasses. Um, 
Hank is uh, very gifted in this kind of thing. Even though he's working as a medical intern, he's just an incredibly smart and intelligent person. Um, and so he, uh, on the side and kind of at home, is um, already working on experiments and stuff. And so he he presents Scott with these glasses, um, and you know they hit it off immediately. They're really good friends. And uh, yeah, I mean, just Freddie Highmore is just a fun actor. I think that he uh, has been kind of like low key, just really just crushing it for a long time. Um, but especially now, you know, with Bates Motel and now with The Good Doctor, he's just kind of, he has, almost has like a second um, career. You know, he, he he did a lot as a kid and now he's kind of finding a new stage of his career. And I really am interested by it. I, I think that he just makes a lot of really good choices and the roles he picks. And I think that this would be one that he would be really drawn to. Um, it definitely plays on a lot of his strengths as an actor. And so, yeah, I'd love to see this. Um, and Hank McCoy, man, is just such a fun character. I would love to hear him. I don't know in what context, but I'd love to hear him at once, one one time in the movie, just say, oh, my stars and garters, because that always cracked me up in the comics. <laughs> um, oh. uh, but yeah, I, that's that's my Beast. Um, what do you think? I, I love that. I, I just love the character of Beast. Yeah. You know, I, I love that he was in, uh, he's a big character in, you know, Civil War and not so much in few days of futures past and then where what like did was he any was he even in apocalypse like i can't even remember because I, like was he even there it was nothing yeah right barely in it um, <laughs> that makes me mad still beast is such a fun character he's so warm and like you said oh my stars and garters like he, he's goofy he's silly he yeah. allows himself to be to do that but because he just he's a very genuine person i think freddie highmore is the epitome of genuine i feel like in all of his roles he's able to like encapsulate exactly who that person is i loved him as norman bates in bates motel um i love those the first few seasons of that show um it, it, it kind of tailed off but I, I loved his performance he, he was able to do it such a good job i've not watched his new show the good doctor you said yeah really really good show um, I feel like you said it is kind of a similar sort of character. He, he's just very um, peculiar. He, is he autistic in the show? He is. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I hear he's a, he does a great job. I mean, it's been like number one rated or uh, at the top for since it's aired, I believe. Um, it's just praise for Freddie, who I, I really like. I gotta say, Freddie and Asa Butterfield give off the same kind of energy to me, almost like in different ways. You know? Yeah, for sure. Like, be brothers so i i love that you casted them as nightcrawler and beast who have this instant friendship this bond because he helps you know to get them from the circus and and beast is kind of he's like this big brother kind of vibe going on you know and it's it shows exactly what kind of person beast is you know he's already helping out and what kind of age is a uh, beast looking at right now you know in your in your movie so he's going to be um one of the older ones he'll be you know late 20s maybe early 30s at the most maybe like 35 so he's a little bit older um but he uh one thing that i think would, would be important is, is that he and scott don't really have a conflict of like who should be the leader i think that he just knows his role and uh is able to contribute like he knows his strengths but he yeah he'll be on a little bit older than like the rest of this team but still you know right there in that like that tw late 20s mid uh, 30s uh, range i really like that dynamic that you're working with I, I love how your team's building up with you know it's starting with beast and nightcrawler together and then the, you know they find 
uh, Cyclops and Jean. I, 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 you know, I get real giddy at the idea of Nightcrawler just being in awe of Beast fighting and, <laughs> yeah. and going off because Nightcrawler is going to be able to do just as such cool stuff going forward once he he figures some stuff out and trains, you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, with the circus, does he have any, like, martial arts uh, background or is he just really acrobatic uh, in this universe? Uh, mostly it's acrobatic. And the feature is the fact that he's able to, to teleport. And uh, a lot of the movie will be him kind of training and learning that he is a very gifted martial artist. He's just never had the opportunity to to utilize that ability. Okay. I, I love your cast, man. Um, I think the chemistry would be off the charts. And I love how you're giving these people who, like you said, it's it's like it feels just like an indie vibe. It's like an indie X-Men movie almost. <laughs> like like I said, mine was almost going to be like a rom-com, like like action thriller. But yours is giving me some really cool like indie, indie uh, coming of age vibes, you know? Right. Yeah. That's, well, that's what I, I love about the MCU. You know, the MCU bends genres so well. You get, you know the throwback political thriller with, with the winter soldier and even, you know, the, the Spider-Man movies are basically John Hughes movies. Um, and so I love the fact that we can do that with these X-Men movies too. Um, and it's all about like those different voices, right. With directors. Um, I, I love, yeah. The way you described yours with it being a rom-com is perfect. I think, especially with the Scott and Jane relationship and also um, Remy and, and rogue, uh that's important in this and yeah with mine i just i love the i just i love the idea i've always thought this in the comics that the x-men are just a really big dysfunctional family and they all just kind of find each other and and uh um yeah this would definitely be a very much a, a coming of age kind of family film um also i i like the idea of like a road trip kind of thing um that's one thing i really liked about the movie logan um obviously a lot heavier than this movie but um that was an aspect i really enjoyed how hugh jackman is like does not want to be a, a father for this this little girl but they go on this road trip with charles and you know very very fun aspect of that movie um but yeah Okay, so before you go to your next pick, uh, which is Gambit, because that's the last one, yes. um, who's driving? This is very important. <laughs> uh, so um, Scott will initially be driving, and uh, as soon as they hook or hook up with uh, with Hank, he'll kind of take over because he'll see Scott is a little bit reckless behind the wheel, and they'll be like, "I think I'll I think I'll take over for now." He doesn't <laughs> so, know what lights so red. They're all red. I mean. <laughs> That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Um, okay, good. Because I was going to say, Beast has to be the driver. It just, it feels right. It just, yes. you know. Yes, it, absolutely. Who's, who's controlling the tunes? Uh, I think it would be Kurt. You know, he's the youngest and he, you know, he would probably know the most about <laughs> the music and the rest of them are like so focused on like, just figuring their shit out and their powers. And Kurt would be the one, like, it's going to be, I would love to see a scene where it's just dead silent in the car. And then Kurt is like, this is boring. And just turns on like Post Malone or something. I would just, I would love a scene like that. Oh, <laughs> Nightcrawler singing to Posty would be. Yes. Lovely. Yes. <laughs> okay. You're, okay. I love this. Okay. Give me your gambit. I, I'm very, very excited for this. 
Okay, yeah. So so this, yeah, this is my last uh, cast member. I'm also going to go a little bit more into the plot because Remy is going to be playing a lot into... I. This is where a lot of um, similarities are going to be drawn between our two uh, stories. So basically, while all this is going on, you know, our heroes are being hunted by Omega Red and kind of, you know, forming this, this bond with each other. Um, all this is going on. Uh, like I said, they do meet uh, Rogue in New Orleans. And so, of course, you know, we get a cut to... Remy himself. So he, uh, at this point in time, is a member of the Thieves Guild. Um, one of my favorite aspects of the character in the comics, for sure. That's how we meet him in the comics. He, um, you know, he's he's this thief, and he really kind of just is a kind of like a lone wolf. You know, he he's just fending for himself, and um, a bit of a morally gray kind of character. Um, and so he, yeah, when we, when we meet him, you know, he you can see him on, on Bourbon Street, kind of. Uh, stealing from people and and when he heads back to uh kind of the home base and with his other thieves he uh he's kind of like the brash like takes the best for himself and never really shares with other people and um eventually he comes across um scott and gene they're just walking around new orleans um probably bickering (laughs) and uh he decides that that's going to be his next lift and so he you know tries to pickpocket scott um Scott, of course, is very quick, quick on his feet and notices what's happening and a fight breaks out. Um, what he doesn't know is that Remy is a very skilled fighter. He whips out his bow staff and uh, a fight, you know, begins on, on Bourbon Street. You know, it's just it's Scott versus uh, Remy. And basically, Jean doesn't even want to help out because she is just like, all right, this is just a testosterone competition and kind of just walks off. And it's basically Scott Scott and uh and Remy just going at it. Um, essentially, Remy wins the fight. He basically just beats the shit out of out of Scott, almost knocks him unconscious, and grabs you know what he was going for. He grabs his wallet and just kind of takes off. Um, and so we uh, we are aware that Remy is kind of around. Um, we don't really know what his importance to the plot is yet, but um, as our heroes are really starting to come together and bond, um, yes, this movie is now primarily taking place in New Orleans. I had to do it. Um, they, uh, have essentially kind of decided that, you know, now that they're not alone, they have this team, uh, so to speak, they're actually going to try fighting back. You know, Omega Red is still hot on their heels and, uh, they are a little bit more confident in themselves and confident in each other. And they decide that, you know, we're going to hole up here in New Orleans and wait for them and, and, uh, you know, show them that we're not just defenseless kids that we can fight back. And so, um, going into this third act, um, you know, Omega Red shows up. He is, uh, has also drawn the attention of a lot of, um, government agents, possibly some shield agents. If you want your MCU cameos, um, you know, they're also following him and, uh, I uh, I always thought that it would be really fun to see, um, you know, so have you seen Mission Impossible Rogue Nation? Yes. Okay, so there's this incredible sequence in that movie where basically it is like, it's a, like a motorbike chase that turns into a car chase that like, it's just a chase sequence that goes on and on. And I think in any other movie would have felt like it was drawn on, but it's just so like, chaotic and entertaining that it like zips by it's such a fun scene um tom cruise just zipping around on a motorbike so that's kind of what i envision as this goes on um in new orleans so basically omega red 
spots Scott, um, you know, on a busy street in, in New Orleans in the quarter and uh, chases after him, you know, it starts, you know, like blowing up basically the street and Scott is trying to keep people protected and, and safe from him. And so he runs off, tries to draw him away. And at the same time, some shield agents are also chasing um, Omega Red. And so we get this big kind of elongated chase sequence throughout um, downtown New Orleans. Uh, you get your chance to really show off the beauty of <laughs> downtown NOLA. And um, eventually Scott ends up uh, meeting up with his other friends. He warns them that Omega Red's on the way. And we get kind of our, our third act showdown. Um, and also Remy shows up and he is just kind of a character at this point, you know, Remy is still someone who is just not involved with the main events of the film. And I think that that could be a really fun source of comedy because he just shows up trying to like steal from people and then sees all of this going down. And he's not trying to help these people because he's, you know, he just tried to steal from Scott. Basically he gets involved because Omega Red, you know, bumps past him and, and kind of pisses him off. So he goes after um, Omega Red. So this is just this big chaotic chase going on the entire time. Um, and then we get the final showdown between, you know, our, our, our born again or brand new X-Men and Omega Red. Um, all of our powers are on display. You know, you're watching uh, Cyclops with his brand new glasses, just, you know, going to town. Uh, you get Jean Grey uh, really unleashing her power um beast is again just impressing nightcrawler but also encouraging nightcrawler as they're fighting like you know you've been training now get out there like this, this is not the time to be afraid um i know you got it in you get out there and start fighting and so kurt gets out there as well um just it's a really fun two sequence of the whole team coming together i'm picturing kind of something similar to you know the first avengers movie that really awesome circle shot of them in new york um i just get chills thinking about that scene um the first time yeah the team comes together and so it, it, rogue as well is is um fighting and they're all kind of coming together and then gambit is just kind of in the in the side just like kind of watching but also really pissed at, at omega red and so he jumps in and starts fighting as well and scott's like kind of bickering with him as everything's going on um and so all of that being said i got to get to my gambit so um i wanted to go with someone who you know very much along the lines of how you went with Taryn, someone who is able to really toe the line of being a dick, but also uh, likable. You know, he's uh, this guy um, is one of my older cast members. Um, he has been around for a while. He is in one of truly one of my favorite, like, I guess you call them legacy sequels that of these movies that come out years after the original uh, Tron legacy um, I'm of course talking about Garrett Hedlund. Um, yeah, I, I like this guy a lot. He, you know, he's also known, you know, so he, he's the lead role in Tron Legacy. He also is in uh, last year's Triple Frontier, a movie that went under the radar for a lot of people. Really great movie. Um, he just has this great, he's also inside Lewin Davis, um, has this great quality to him. You know, he's, he's very like, he's able to play a bit of a kind of a cocky guy, kind of a dick, especially in Tron legacy. He, um, before entering the grid, uh, just like he's trying to like make it on his own. And, uh, you get that really awesome scene in the beginning of the movie where he steals from the, uh, the corporation that, uh, Believe it or not, your your uh, no wait. I was about to say your Hank Michael Sheen, but he's not that role. He plays um, Caster in Tron Legacy, but also he's he's in that movie. Really fun role. Um, 
But yeah, so Garrett Hedlund, I just think that he he's been around for a while and he really is great about towing that line between being a dick and also like getting you to kind of get be on his side. Um, and I think that that's important for Gambit. Gambit is, uh, you know, I haven't touched much on him other than him being a member of the Thieves Guild. Um, I will be talking more in a second about him in, the, in my post credit scene because that's where it's really going to come into play. Um, but yeah, he is just, he's a bit of a dick and you're like, you go away from the movie really like almost begrudgingly liking this character. Cause he's, he's an asshole, but like, he's really fun and you get some flirtation between him and rogue, but not a full out like kind of relationship yet, but you can just tell that there's a lot there, a lot of chemistry there. Um, and yeah, Garrett Hedlund, I think he's a lot of fun. I think he could play off of Zoe Deutsch really well. Um, and also Dylan O'Brien, they would butt heads a lot, and that would be just a lot of fun to see. I, I really like that casting. I mean, he has a little look. He can pull it off. And, I mean, honestly, he was, I think, my favorite going into uh, X-Men Wolverine uh, Origins. Yes. Uh, when they decided to cast uh, Taylor Kitsch. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, I kind of really wanted Garrett, um, personally. He was, like, I think it was a lot of one of the people's uh, popular choices. But, you know, Taylor, I really enjoyed also. Yeah. He just really, that that movie, I don't like to bring up. <laughs> um, it had so much fun parts, and then a lot of it just ruined everything yes. else. Yes, But I, I feel like Garrett Hedlund would be a really good, uh, good gambit. Uh, like you said, uh, in your movie, he's going to be uh, a little bit more jerkish than mine, I believe. Just a bit more. Is he? He sounds really out for himself. Or, or mine, I think, more so. My gambit just doesn't care much at all. A little bit more indifferent. Uh, he, he's doing things. He's a little bit more mysterious. But you know, I, I really like uh, where your gambit is. Just kind of there. He's kind of just an, an audience member. Uh, you know, he's he's kind of interacting here and there, but he's not really a pivotal character right up until the end. Uh, you know, jumping in and helping fight Omega Red just because he bumps into him uh, is Gambit. That I love that. You know, he's like really th- like this fool. Like he did not just do this. <laughs> right. Like Gambit just like lets a lot of things get to him. You know, he is a bit of a hothead. Uh, he he has gr- he holds grudges. Um, he's not the best guy. And I, I like that you also went with that uh, that plot point. Um, I, I like that both of our movies are going to show Gambit is not very bright kind of guy. Uh, and really, hopefully, there's going to be redemption for both going forward. Right. Um, I can see Garrett Hedlund in more movies. Um, I liked him in Pan a lot, actually. Yeah, I really liked definitely. him. Uh, Pan was fun. I It, it, it suffered from the time of when it came out uh bad marketing yes. and it, it wasn't the best written movie but i still really enjoyed it yeah um triple frontier i've been meaning to watch um you know that that in uh six underground and a couple of those other action movies on netflix i i've been meaning to just jump into still haven't i loved them in tron legacy and so i i really i think he could take this and run with it um, a little bit older than the other than the cast, but I think that maturity will show really well because of the Gambit character. You know, he's seen some things. He's been around. Um, he's a little aged. I think that adds a little bit to your Gambit character, whereas mine's going to be a little bit feistier just because he's a little bit younger. Right. Um, 
So I, I like that dynamic that you got going on and how that's going to work going forward in your series uh, with Gambit. Right. Um, so I, I really dig that. Um, are we going to jump right into the rest of your plot or are we going to tr- do my next pick and then we'll uh, finish our movies? What, what do you think? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead if it's okay and just wrap up real quick um, because I really want to get into, yeah, so the post-credits because Gambit, we were just talking about him. We didn't even mention, you know, uh, at least in my story, his powers. So obviously, you know, he displays that in, it, right, in, his, in his final fight. Um, he... We only see the bow staff in his fight with with the Cyclops, but uh, towards the end of this movie, when he's really fighting Omega Red, he really displays um, those, you know, his, uh, I think it's like telekinetic abilities. Um, he, uh, let me pull this up real quick so I don't screw it up. Um, let's see. He, yeah, he, he has the ability to convert um, energy into pure kinetic energy so he can charge an item with like highly explosive results um we see this with like his uh his playing cards that's a big feature of his um and so he's definitely going to be utilizing that against omega red um and so but during that fight a big thing is that that's going to happen and then we're definitely going to see some side effects from it so as that happens we definitely see him weakened by the fight. And it's not just from what, you know, the damage he got from Omega Red, but from using these powers. He, you know, absorbs an incredible amount of energy to do this. And it's very much obvious. It's very obvious that it's taking a toll on him physically. Um, and so as the battle ends, you know, they, they uh, end up beating Omega Red. Omega Red's taken into custody by the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. We might get a fun cameo from, you know, say Maria Hill. Um, and she just tells Scott, like, we'll take him from here. I definitely don't want to kill him off because that's one thing that I'm a little bummed that the MCU does sometimes is that they kill some of their best villains too early. Um, a lot of times yeah, it's, they it's did, a bummer. did that way too much. Um, yeah. so I'd love to see Omega Red come back, um, now with a, you know, a bit of a, a vendetta. <laughs> and so, uh, so he's taken into shield custody and then, uh, you know, Gambit, uh, and Scott, are still very much at odds, but Scott, you know, tells him, you know, thanks for the assist. And Remy's basically like, I wasn't in it for you guys. That guy just pissed me off. Um, but we can see that he's, he's very weakened by the fight. And uh, Scott tells him, you know, even so if you, if you need help or uh, maybe we'll need help sometime, we're going to reach out. Uh, and he's like, yeah, whatever. And kind of walks off. Um, basically as the movie wraps up, we now have our, our X-Men. They've come together um they're not you know fully formed heroes yet they're still kind of finding their way but they just had their first victory and that's big um and so as it winds down we're going to roll into our our post-credit scene um it's going to follow gamut again he um is visiting uh basically this nondescript office um he walks in and again he's still very weakened from the fight and basically he's just looking for answers he's really pissed he's had his powers longer than a lot of the X-Men. And so he's very upset that now it's starting to have some bad side effects on him. And so he comes up into this office and meets with this man. Um, The man doesn't give his name right away. So we're kind of left in the dark about who it is Um, and talks to him. And he says, you know, I hear a lot of stories about how you've helped people like me um, control their powers. um, So I need your help. And, uh, and uh, basically um, the man says, uh, you know, obviously I would love to help you for a price. And, uh, you know, the music is swelling and the camera pans out and the office above says Essex industries. 
Um, this is, of course, Nathaniel Essex, uh, also known as Mr. Sinister. You know, uh, Damon mentioned him as his main villain. Um, you know, Gambit has Damn. Gambit has very much a past with uh, with Mr. Sinister. Um, you know, in the comics, he in one of my favorite uh, Marvel stories, I think it's called The Trials of Gambit. He um, does go to Mr. Sinister for help with, uh, you know, his powers and Mr. Sinister wants him to, you know, pay or pay him back and help him um, with the Marauders, just like in, in, in Damon's story. And so um, that's kind of kind of going to be where this movie leaves off. And so we get that kind of that ambiguity about Gambit, like Gambit is someone who is very morally great anyway. And uh, after having this meeting with uh, Nathaniel Essex, that's very much um, going to be the case moving forward. Um, Mr. Sinister is definitely going to be my villain for the next movie. Uh, maybe we'll come back to this with the sequel podcast. Um, but I definitely want to get into, so obviously, you know, Mr. Sinister is a big character. You need a, a really great guy to, to play this role. Um, so yeah, so Gambit is meeting with this guy. He walks in, the receptionist lets him in and, you know, maybe it's like classic, like the guy's sitting with his back to him in this chair and swivels it around in a real dramatic reveal, but it is, uh, Mr. Rupert Giles himself, Anthony head. Um, I, this was one, it's interesting when writing down my cast for this movie, I knew I wanted to involve Mr. Sinister somehow. I didn't know that I wanted him as the main villain, but Anthony had, like he came to head uh, pretty early on. Um, a lot of that obviously is because I've been watching Buffy, you know, uh, um, and, uh, Giles. Yes, pro Giles. absolutely. This is a very pro Giles cast for those who are listening and, you know, don't know who this is. Anthony head plays Rupert Giles on the show, Buffy, the vampire slayer. Um, my personal favorite character. He, uh, in that show is certainly not a villain. He is basically the father figure for Buffy. Um, really just an incredible character, but also we have seen that he is able to play a bit of a villainous role. Oh, um, yes. He, so in the show Merlin, and he plays uh, Uther Pendragon. He's the father of a uh, soon to be King Arthur. Um, he, yeah, just a terrible person in that show. Very like polar opposite of Giles. You know, Giles is just a really great father figure for Buffy. Uh, Uther is an awful father to Arthur. Um, and he really gets what's coming to him in that show. Um, and uh, so we've seen Anthony Head kind of roll back and forth between those two roles. Um, he's an incredible actor. He uh, is funny when he needs to be in Buffy. Sometimes he is the butt of the joke, but he is just really just a very like interesting actor. And this is, I just think this would be such an interesting role for him because Again, my association with him right now is just as Giles, as this character I really look up to. And so seeing that kind of turned on its head and him really diving into a very, very sadistic character. You know, this guy was someone who, uh, like Damon said, he was a, a contemporary of, of Darwin and basically was told in his experiments that in order to complete these experiments, you'd have to become a monster. And he basically said, like, if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. I'm going to become a monster to you know, find uh, what I need to in, in these experiments. And so he's not, he's not afraid of going dark. <laughs> he's very willing to, to push the limits of morality to, um, you know, further his name in science. And uh, I would love to see Anthony Head take this role on. Um, I think, again, you know, he's, he's shown potential to play a really sadistic character, uh, you know, like Uther. 
Um, but that was, you know, sometimes either was portrayed as like a morally gray character on that show. This is just Anthony Head really chewing the scenery as a very, very evil character. And uh, a lot of my plot for a potential, you know, hypothetical second X-Men movie would be around like the relationship between him and Gambit. You know, Gambit is now under his thumb because uh, he's, you know, asked for help. And so he's definitely going to be exploiting that. And that would definitely play into Gambit's relationship with the X-Men. Um, but yeah, I just, this was one of the first thoughts I had when thinking about this movie. And uh, I was, you know, I was watching Buffy while writing down uh, stuff for this. And I, it was just too perfect not to pass up. I would just, I'd love to see Anthony Head take on this role. And also just because like, he's not in much anymore. You know, he he was known for Buffy and, and, uh, and later or for, for Merlin. Man. We'll be right back, guys. Sorry, tons of technical difficulties difficulties tonight, but that is just Mr. Sinister trying to fuck with us because we're talking about the X-Men. <laughs> um, but as I was saying, uh, for my Mr. Sinister, yeah, Anthony Head, man. I just I would love to see him take on this role. Um he's not a name we really hear anymore. Uh, you know, Buffy was uh his defining role, and we haven't heard a lot since then, so this would be a ton of fun. He's a very, he's a classically trained actor, um, has some musical background. So he has a lot of gravitas that I think would be really fun um, for this role. I, I, I hate you. That's not fair. <laughs> I, I just want everyone to know he got an extra pick and I'm going to bring this up to the review board and see if we can get him uh, one game ban. <laughs> um, but really i love giles i love anthony head i was literally talking about merlin earlier with my roomie um because we she was she's watching cursed oh yeah which is of course about arthurian legend uh the lady in the water so i brought up merlin was t- and then of course giles is i just love giles i love anthony head he's a great actor that's a really cool pick for mr sinister um and really setting up your second movie um I, I like that we both are going to show, you know, the uh, the relationship between Sinister and Gambit. And uh, yours is going to be more fleshed out, I think, where mine's going to be a little bit more on the back end. Um, but I, I like that you have Omega Red as this, you know, this very violent, uh, very uh, physical character in this movie. You know, you know, it's it's kind of a cool way to have them use their powers and, you know, kind of sharpen them get get used to this this physicality and then the second movie is going to be very sinister <laughs> very much so yeah <laughs> but uh sinister likes to go in a lot of other different ways and i'm like i'm gonna be interested to see your turn with sinister in our sequel to this podcast because of course we're gonna do that <laughs> um one day um i i like you know where your movie went i like where it's going your cast is phenomenal I will say, um, I don't really have anything bad to say about it. Uh, my only question mark really is Alexander Ludwig, just because I just haven't really seen him in much. Um, but just as far as a face and his presence, he, he nails it. So a plus gentlemen, sir, um, you, you killed it. Thank you. Um, do you have a working title for your, for your movie? Um, not off the bat you know the first thing i thought of it's so funny this is just this is a testament listeners at home this is a testament to like 
how bad my memory is that my first thought was like something united and i was like oh shit that's literally the subtitle of x-men 2 or x2 x-men united but uh yeah so i don't have one at the moment but it would be something along the lines of like united because this is this is truly i mean it's a family movie it's about them coming together and, and fighting together um yeah okay so that's your movie the x-men uh united to not x2 united <laughs> that's the full title <laughs> <laughs> um so my movie of course uh we're gonna dive into uh i have one pick left which yes. um i probably should have mentioned before rogue because yes technically he he happened he he showed up before um but he he really doesn't done much other than pop around uh save some injured mutants and then pop up and save Gene and Scott and had, right. have a little really nice fight with Gambit because I mean, Gambit has some really nice acrobatic skills himself. He, he's no slouch but when it comes to that. And Nightcrawler, my Nightcrawler, as we're about to come to find out, is also part of the circus. Hmm. Um, so let's just uh, jump into that. I'm going to tell everyone who my Nightcrawler is. Uh, I'm going with a little bit of older vibe um i'm going with rami malik Ooh, okay yes um you might know him from mr robot uh great show role uh you might know him as freddie mercury in bohemian rhapsody fantastic role um if it had come out already we would have seen him in the newest uh james bond movie as the villain yes i forgot about that i could have seen that um but i just I, i really like what I've seen from Rami Malek and he just needs more roles. Um, and I think this would be a no brainer in my eyes. Um, he can play that very quiet, sophisticated, um, introspective person. I feel like very well. And I, I kind of want my nightcrawler to be that, uh, he's not going to be a big time talker, but when he talks, he will be very warm and thoughtful and, and in quite and it's it's almost going to be like every time he says something, it's going to be a really good line, a really good, you know, it's going to be thrown out on uh, Tumblr and Twitter uh, after the movie's out on tons right. of different. Posts. That's what I'm going for for Nightcrawler, and I think Rami Malek would be a really good voice for that. Um, I think he would look really good in the uh, the C- whether it's going to be CGI or or a lot of makeup, um, and and, and stuff. I think Rami Malek would look really good in that Nightcrawler visual and yeah. aesthetic. Um, and so with, so, I mean, I, I just think uh, Rami Malek with this cast also, he'll, he'll be a little bit older, but I, I think the relationship between him and Hank uh, with Rami and Michael Sheen is going mm-hmm. to be very good uh, chemistry and it'll be a relationship, a friendship. I think that's going to bloom and blossom into our sequels going forward. So, For what sure. do you think? I love it. Yeah, Rami is. Oh man, you have Freddie Mercury and Elton John in, in the same movie. Hell I yeah! Love that. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is great. I, I love the way you mentioned like his dyna- his relationship with Hank. That's almost like. And again, I I mentioned this. I love what you're doing with Hank as kind of that he's not maybe not the leader but he is the guy who's rallying this team um especially with michael sheen being a little bit older and so i love that like uh you know uh kurt and hank 
are a bit of like an inverse of Hank and Charles in the X-Men prequel movies. That's really cool to me. I love that. Um, yes. I, I love that relationship in those movies. And so um, Rami Malek is a really cool pick. He is, yeah, Mr. Robot. If you haven't seen that show, man, such a good show. He's really great. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. He's, he's phenomenal. Um, yeah, great show. He's, he's great. I even think back, this is so funny because it's such an inconsequential role, but I even think back to um, Night at the Museum, who plays the, uh, <laughs> the Pharaoh. He's so good in those movies. Um, you know, you mentioned that, though, but that's honestly maybe where he could draw the most inspiration for Nightcrawler. You know, kind of that just that radiance i don't know that that, that kind of yes. that that character gave very much so yeah he has i mean this is incredibly important for kurt you know nightcrawler is such a unique character and rami is just a very unique actor he has a very unique look to him and just has a very even like in interviews has a very unique kind of different quality to him um and i love that you're kind of going in the direction of he he's a man of few words but when he speaks it's like he's a bit like silent bob like when he speaks it's just very profound and like wow why doesn't this guy talk all the time um so i love that that's really cool i mean and you, you say that and actually i mean rami actually had a hard time growing up for for that i mean he grew up with his name being mispronounced cultural differences so right. i i feel like he could i mean draw from his his real life unfortunately i mean that he had to go through that but as all the best actors do they draw from what they know and i i feel like that's a great parallel to kurt um as a character you know he's very different Uh, he he literally looks like a demon um it's it's very off-putting to a lot of people and so where we go come back to my story of course they had gotten attacked in the house in Hank's place, they all get out thanks to Kurt. Um, and of course, then we went back to Gambit. They all they all did that. Gambit met Rogue. They fuck, and that's where we are right now. So we go, we we flash to the next day, and we get to the group, Kurt and and Gene and Scott and Hank and the others that they saved. You know. Um, who are just, you know, of course, background fodder, but I would lo- love it if I thought a little bit more that they would be very, very small, minor X-Men characters, you know, like mm. little flashes that if you if you knew they'd be really good Easter eggs, but I, I just did not have enough time to figure out who they would be. <laughs> I wish I did. Um, but as they're moving, they're, you know, they're, they're in some, they're in a, they're trying to find a place to, you know, hide and lay low and while this is happening of course kurt is kind of breaking down his story you know because they they want to know who really helped everybody you know he was really the the savior of the day right then and he you know he introduces who he is and that he was actually has a work visa uh he's from germany of course and he's in america with his circus um and they were traveling when the genesis happened and he is transformed into this this new demon looking furry guy with the tail like and of course he's he's he doesn't know what to do or anything but he kind of just rolls with it and the circus rolls with it i mean the circus kind of it kind of falls into their lap and they just run with it so the circus kind of gets even a bigger boost you know like hmm. you see this new this new discovery this new thing you know all these mutants are here and we have one you know and 
even before this, he was a very famous acrobat, you know, that there, he was at the circus for a reason. And, and now the circus is just using him as a prop, just as, as like they were using him in your story, you know, and this is a very big part of Kurt's story. You know, he, with the parallel of him being just seen as a, a sideshow instead of, you know, who he is and what his abilities and talents are. And so he talks about that and he was just doing that, but he started getting a lot of abuse from the crowds going forward. Hmm. So he eventually had to get away. He just had to. And so he was looking for people to join, to, to feel, uh, you know, feel bonded with, feel connected to. And so he heard about the protests and he started following them. And of course, that's why he was there in New Orleans and the attack happened. And that's why he was there at the house and he was able to save him. So we get the bonding with Nightcrawler. We get the introduction and in, uh, his background story, you know. So this is happening and they're, they're trying to find a place. Um, and of course, while they're doing this, eventually after the story, um, and they're, they're giving off ideas of where they could stay. Scott's just done with it. He, you know, he's been knocked down so many times and he's just tired of it. And he takes a stand and gives a Scott Summers speech that inspires all of them. Yes. And it's just amazing. And it it, it shows exactly why he would be the leader of the future X-Men. And so that happens. So they start making a plan. Um, we flashed to Hank going on social media saying he's leaving New Orleans, that the fight's not done. Uh, the next protests are, are scheduled on his, uh, on his front page, on his uh, bio. And of course, so that happens. Uh, we cut to the airport. Busy, busy, busy. You know, people's moving in and out. And we see the Marauders posted up outside you know spread out kind of looking as chill and casual as can be you know as i can um and of course with them is rogue now who joins them because Mm. i I unfortunately jumped a scene because i'm sorry guys i'm jumping my own scenes um Let's see. In between we the Nightcrawler talk, we get scenes of the Marauders and Gambit had taken Rogue back to meet Sinister. Mm. Rogue had mentioned needing help. You know, she didn't know what she, you know, she was kind of having a hard time finding money. So Gambit offers some help, you know. So Rogue's brought Rogue meets Sinister, who is dissecting another patient. You know, and so we have a very fun talk with Sinister and Rogue about you know, powers and how Rogue felt when it first happened and why she thinks it happened and why Sinister thinks it's that thinks it happened. You know, I just want Sinister to be chewing the scenery and chewing the dialogue, you know? Yeah. And Rogue, I want to set up a relationship with them going forward. And so seeing David Tennant playing off of that, I think would be so fun. Um, and so Rogue is getting a probationary status as a marauder here and she joins the crew and so they have to figure out what uh, to do. So then, of course, we jump back to the group coming up with the plan, the social media post. And of course, so now the Marauders know exactly where they're going to be. You know, they at least where Hank is going to be. And so they plan on pretty much jumping Hank, getting him as quickly as possible, you know, 
So this is happening. They're at the airport. They're waiting. And eventually Hank shows up with everyone, you know. And as soon as they show up, they run away as soon as the Marauders uh, show themselves, right? And we get essentially a super crazy multi-view POV uh, on-foot chasing uh, with powers between the Marauders and the uh, future X-Men, okay, through through New Orleans, okay? And so they're chasing. Different Marauders are trying to attack attack uh, Kurt, and the other ones are trying to get Scott. Scott's running around, shooting blasts behind him. Hank is moving around super fast, uh, just throwing stuff behind them to make sure they're not hitting them. Um, Gambit's throwing cards at Scott as he's the one chasing Scott. Um, and, you know, as you talked, uh, Gambit's able to charge up items and, and for explosions, essentially. So there's tons of damage being had through a lot of these chases scenes, okay? Uh, tons of cool, great music going on right now. And eventually, one by one, the Marauders, you know, eventually corner the X-Men. But as they're happening, the X-Men disappear to reveal their actual, the actual people behind them getting a jump on them as they were all illusions by Gene. Ooh. And as you see Jean, as she was, you know, Jean with the, the fingers to the temples, you know, give, give the, the visual that she was using her powers before she jumps down and takes care of Vertigo, you know. And so that's that, incredible. Yes. And then that starts the next fight where they're actually fighting. <laughs> um, so several of the Marauders actually get taken down real nicely. We get some Kurt jump in action, taking down arc light um, and everything. Right. And of course we have Scott fighting Gambit and we get that happening. And of course, Scott's even more prepared and just done with everything. And Gambit still, you know, sprouting off his, his fun little quips and <laughs> Scott's like tell him to fucking shove it. And, like it's, it's brutal. It, you know, it's pretty, it's fun. And where am I at then? All right. Several of the Marauders are knocked unconscious. And aha. At one point, though, Kurt is taken surprise by Rogue, who is able to get a hand on him. And so Kurt is taken down. And Rogue is, you know, gets a surge of his power and life force, you know. And the other Marauders helps them get Kurt. And they get the hell out of there because they were getting their asses kicked. And that's what the Marauders are really good at is running. <laughs> they, they, they grabbed one mutant. They were like, this is good enough. Uh, they're, they're gone in their Jeep and they're getting away. So what Jean does is borrows a car with her nice little power of suggestion. <laughs> um, and so they all hop in a car, uh, which of course is a little tight for beast. So beast just rip <laughs> pop off. <laughs> They drive off and they're chasing. So now we got a car chase scene going on. And uh, we got we got Scott shooting blasts coming down. We have Arc Light trying to shoot uh hit tremors on the uh against on the uh road, trying to, you know, hit the car and set it uh off kilter. And so we get that going on. And then after that, um they eventually almost ran off the road. And the Marauders are able to get away, unfortunately. 
Um, so then we get to the Marauders unloading Kurt and handing him over to Sinister, who is very, very pleased. Um, Rogue's done great work and is praised, who is kind of secretly tripping out right now because she's getting overloaded with Kurt's memories and emotions and, mm. and stuff. Because that's another side effect of, of Rogue's power. Yeah. Um, and so I really wanted to focus on that. So while this is happening, she's just kind of silently freaking out. We're getting flashes of Kurt's memories ourselves right now, you know, as they're putting Kurt into some holding room, right? Um, and then, so, like, they all kind of celebrate and, and talk to Sinister and kind of, then eventually they break off and Rogue goes away to alone and is, you know, having more flashes. And as she's having flashes, she starts teleporting herself just, like, randomly like in the same room, just different spots as she starts to cry and uh, watching memories of Kurt being, uh, you know, hated and heckled. And uh, so she starts to search for frantically for any other memory that can calm her down. And then she finds a memory of Kurt himself, you know, meditating and figuring out how to focus and controlling his power. And then Rogue's teleporting stops. And then we cut away. So we cut on later. It's a few hours past, maybe, you know, and it's time because let's see, I, I'm leaving something out. That's what happens when you type so much stuff. <laughs> um, X-Men. Okay. I believe the X-Men were able to find the lab because Jean was able to probe their mind and find out. Um, that that makes the most sense, so we're going to roll with that. <laughs> um, and then, so they get to the lab, and they go in with a decent, decent plan, hitting several points all at the same time as they split up the Marauders. Um, more action ensues. I mean, a couple because the couple of the Marauders are already still out of commission themselves. Uh, they're not looking too hot, and the X-Men are really just on a roll right now they're they're confident they're working together uh they kind of got the win on them even though they were able to take kurt and get away um they're 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 ready for to get them back so there's more fighting going on scott is like just hitting his his blaster very accurately um we get some nice team uh work moments you know some nice team moves going on um which they didn't even get to have to practice, you know, it's just coming natural to them. Mm. This is going to be great for them going forward. <laughs> um, and then while this is happening, we see rogue letting Kurt out and helping him uh, get up because she just can't do this anymore. Cause she didn't realize that what she was really getting herself into. She just needed some help and some money, maybe a place to stay, uh, not, you know, kidnapping other mutants and, you know, doing science experiments on them. So she helps Kurt out and who's barely able to walk and they start going out. Um, and she's talking about how she's so sorry and about how she's, she saw his memories and he's confused and they talk about how her powers work and everything. And they, they have a really quick bonding as they're <laughs> walking and trying to get the hell out of there. Okay. And so we get back to more fighting and more fighting happens. Essentially we have Gambit who's having a hard time with Hank um, Gene and Scott have gone to help and get anyone else who's out because most of the other Marauders have been taken care of. Um, so this is when 
Gene and Scott run into Mr. Sinister themselves. Okay, he's in his lab coat still, but he's just very just he's just very frustrated, you know, that this is happening. His lab is getting torn up. So he drops his his robe and to reveal his his very signature kind of look, you know. Yeah. Maybe updated the, the black look with the red kind of diamond. He doesn't have the billowing cloak, but other than that, it it's Mr. Sinister, you know. Uh he's he introduces himself uh and that he, you know, he he's very, very interested in Scott, but he doesn't say why, but that Scott has been a part of his life for decades. You know, he says decades, which gives, you know, gives that really nice little hint and foreshadowing for the future for Scott and them to, you know, get an idea of who the hell this guy is. Yeah. Um, finally, so they start to fight. Um, we see how strong Sinister is. Uh, even with just what he's done for himself, you know, he doesn't have any, he's just recently started working on mutants and, and trying to add a bit, uh, you know, power and, and, you know, kind of fuse it to himself. And so he's able to show some of that off in very cool ways while Gene and Scott work together in a really cool, fun way. You know, we, we get to see the, how cool they look together working. Um, and so we get more fighting. We flash back and forth between them, the fight with Gambit, and Hank and then a uh, robe getting Kurt to, uh, to just wake the fuck up more. Uh, um, <laughs> let's see. Then we're getting to the end. I promise. <laughs> um, okay. Kurt, Kurt's like, okay, we need to get out of here. And then he's like, wait a second. How do your powers work again? Rogue. And that's when we find out rogue still ha- has the ability to teleport now still, you know, mm. she's still able to do it. So Rogue teleports along with Kurt, who they rescue the all the other mutants that are that were being uh, dissected and experimented on. They get them out as safely as they can. Um, they do the rescue thing. There's more fighting. You know, this is going to be a lot of flashing back and forth between all this going on. You know, to keep the momentum. Um, but eventually, Gambit is really um, Gambit's fighting Hank when Rogue teleports her and Kurt. And they help out. Of course, Gambit is thrown for a loop. It's like, why the hell is Rogue helping them? You know, it kind of throws, it just kind of really throws him off his game. He gets decked. He's kind of taken down unconscious. And that's really their work. Um, So they then go to Sinister. Uh, And uh, Sinister fighting Gene and Scott. And his lab is pretty much just wrecked completely and not to mention the lab is pretty much looking like hank's place it's not going to last it's unstable there's been tremors fire explosions tons of different blasts scott's just been just blasting away just over and over again so uh this place is not going to last very long um so they need to get them out so hank decides to go and jump sinister and surprise them so gene and scott can have some time to get away because they look like they were about to get, they they were they were getting the <laughs> the lower hand, I should say. Sinister <laughs> was taking the kill. Um, so we see a little bit of Hank and Sinister, but when Hank realizes who it is, we we get kind of a recognition of Hank and Sinister, and we get an uh, an inkling that they know each other. That will be explored in future installments. <laughs> So when that happens, Sinister is just kind of in shock himself. 
because Hank called him by his actual name, Nathaniel, which, you know, no one has done. (laughs) Yep. Um, Scott done with all the talk shoots sinister, like, like without him noticing like point blank. So (laughs) since he's knocked out for once back into the rubble, they get Hank, they teleport away. Uh, and not much later, this place, this place pretty much just crumbles with sinister under the, uh, ruins, the, the wreckage. So we get resolution stuff. It's, it's pretty much the ending there, you, you know, maybe getting bandaged up. They, they, uh, you know, are going escaping and doing whatever kind of little small talk they can to say, Hey, we, we got through this and we're like, Oh, as much as you can without saying it, we're, we're kind of a team now, you know, yeah. we're, we're together. Right. We wanted uh film ending films ended. <sighs> then we get it scene. Wow. We have, all, we have them, the five of them exiting uh, a car. And this car is in the uh, this very nice lot of this very fancy, fancy looking manor. And Rogue asks what the hell they're doing here in New York. And that's when the door opens to the place. And it outrolls a wheelchair. <laughs> and you see a bald head. And it is. X-Men Genesis, y'all. That's it. <laughs> oh my god. Hang on one sec. Uh, I think this is Kevin Feige in the line. Hey, um my buddy Damon's got an idea for you. It's going to be the best movie that you've ever made. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, dude. Like I'm sitting here listening to you and like envisioning this and I promise this is no hyperbole. If this movie was in theaters, you know, when theaters open back up tomorrow, <laughs> <laughs> um I would be first in line and it would be, have potential to be the best MCU movie I've ever seen. Like, oh. holy shit. <laughs> You're too kind. You're too kind, Kyle. Um, <laughs> That's phenomenal. You know, yeah, well, what do you think? Like, what, what, what stood out? I, I just love the attention to detail given to the showdowns. It's so descriptive. Um, I love the fact that you built up this rivalry between scott and gambit very early on that's incredible um i love the idea that hank and uh and sinister like know each other and there's that incredible kind of moment of like oh shit like these guys have been at it for a while and then him calling him nathaniel is like that's major dumbledore vibes (laughs) calling voldemort tom (laughs) that's incredible i love it this is like this is such a fully fleshed out story and ultimately, like, you nailed the dynamics between all your characters. I really love, I think, it, were this, like, an actual movie, which it absolutely should be, um, the best moment, I think, like, the crowd-pleaser moment would be the rogue, like, helping Kurt and, like, getting him out. That's such an incredibly human interaction. And, like, that's that's awesome. Like, you nailed the relationships. I'm I'm so blown away, dude. This is incredible. Oh, man. Thank you. That makes me so happy. Um, I, I, I just, I wrote, like five six pages <laughs> I, I tried not to to say all of it but give you the idea of what was happening um i i just love story writing i love i love the idea of uh you know especially of a movie you know because it's a very set time and you have the beginning the middle the end uh you can only show so much unless you you know you really do one of those very long time expanding movie biopics you know right um so i really wanted something that was quick very small time period but was able to 
have the characters meet in a very realistic manner, but have them go through things that would bond them, you know, unquestionably. And yeah. so going forward, they would be like, we, we, we're friends. We're, we're family. Maybe, maybe not that right now, but going forward, they will feel that. So for sure. And honestly, the best thing too is you didn't have to say anything else. The most threatening thing possible in this movie, it's not the Marauders. It's not Mr. Sinister. It's, the goddamn New Orleans International Airport. I mean, setting something there. If you've ever been to that airport, like, it's a nightmare. So that, that's great. I love yeah, that. Yeah, that's why I tried not to go inside. Like, it was like, we've done the airport scene already. Yes. You know, I stay away from it and just keep keep it on the streets in New Orleans. I think that'd be such a great backdrop for the foot chase and then the car chase. Like, one at, like having the foot chase and then the fight and then the car chase, I feel would be just so action packed yes. and would really drive us. That would be like the, the prequel to the climax, you know, with the fight at the, uh, at the lab, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, you're, you're thinking this is what's going to happen at the end. And then it's like civil war, you know, the fight at the airport, you oh, think it's over. Yeah. It's not, no, we still got to go. We still got to find out what's up with Tony yes. and Bucky. And so I wanted that kind of action-packed vibe. And then it's like, oh, wow, it's not over yet. We right. got to get more. So I love it. That's awesome. I really, what I want to do now is, is watch the old guard and get a feel for like how, um, uh, what's her name again? Uh, Gina Prince Bithwood. Right. So, so how she, how Gina directs action, because this movie just has, I mean, just the way you described it really, really cool action set pieces and so you know you've talked very highly of, of uh, the old guard so i'd love to see the way she directs action um that's awesome please do i challenge you and everyone listening to go watch it if you have not i'm probably <laughs> going to re-watch it tomorrow yes because <laughs> i'm hyped um i love both of our movies dude um i really like the way you went um i'm really proud of mine uh our cast i don't think either one wins so much as they're just both amazing and like i want both to happen in different universes (laughs) i think that i really really quickly because we do this a lot with our when we do our our fan cast definitely my favorite of yours is i mean they're all great but michael sheen as hank like that just blew my mind so good i mean he would be so incredible he would be such a like like a lovable character by the end of the movie, I think he would be a fan favorite like he would like be in the ranks of like a captain america because he's just so winning and like in the stuff I have seen him in and then putting him in the context of this character, especially as like a rallying figure. And I mean, that scene that introduces him of him, you know, giving this impassioned speech at a protest is just, that's incredible. So I think that's the, that's the MVP of the movie for sure. Thank you. Like I, I have this idea of like, you know, you're, you're scanning over the crowd and you're hearing his voice. You're already. And like, it, it finally hits him. Like he's on like some steps, some elevated raised steps or something. And it just hits him and it's just Hank in like a nice suit and he's blue and furry already. Yeah. And he's just so he's smiling, but he but but he's kind of also angry about what's happening. Um, thank you. I, I really when I came up with Michael Sheen, I was like, oh wait, wow, whoa, is isn't anyone else thought of this? And like <laughs> I saw a couple people mention it online, but it's just I, I really like your beast though, uh, especially as far as the younger version, because Freddie Moore, Freddie Highmore kind of can give off a similar sort of vibe. Yes. Uh, you know, and I, I have to mention before I forget, Freddie's eyebrows are legit. And like <laughs> that look with beast is going to work so well. Yeah, for so that, sure. He's got uh, Dwayne Johnson eyebrows for sure. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so if we're going to go with, with favorite casting, um, my favorite of years is really hard because like the Nightcrawler, the Rogue, the Cyclops, um, it honestly, it has to be Nightcrawler because Asa Butterfield, I think is really underrated as an actor. And I think as he goes forward, he's really going to be able to do a bunch of different roles and I like, I, I just keep seeing his face. Like, as you said, in awe of watching beast and I mm. just see Ace of Butterfield pulling that off so well. Um, if you, if you can watch sex education, like he, he's able to show bewilderment and just like frustration and like, he gets surprised so much and he's just frustrated. And so like to see, I think being able to have Nightcrawler show a lot of like, just a lot of body movement, a lot of awe and like just being like freaking out almost like, like that spazzing out, I, I could I just see that a lot. Uh, I, I really like your Nightcrawler and Zoe Deutsch as Rogue. I think might is, is a dark horse. Like she could like end up winning the movie and being like a, a fan favorite towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um, she is one of the probably the less the less known, the least known out of all these people. Right, I would say yeah, maybe Alexander. Uh, but she could come out of it on the other end just a star. Yes, very much so. Yeah, I said Asa, but I like Zoe. I really like your cast. Thanks, man. Um, so I, I think we've talked enough about these <laughs> movies. Um, I, I could go on more though. Like I'm down to start on the sequel. Um, yeah. In case you guys can't tell, we love the X Men. I mean, it's so ripe for uh, for movies. I mean, there's been I made a post about this before, but the universe has just been it really runs the gamut from quality from terrible to really really good. And that's because there's so many interesting stories involving the X-Men. And yeah, I mean, honestly, I do think like I genuinely, not just because you're my friend or my my co-host, I think your your story is just the perfect way to introduce them into the MCU. Because what it does so well too is it passes the baton on. And so I imagine people seeing this movie and not, I mean, there will be some people, but most most people would not be asking like, "Hey, where's Captain America and where all the, where's all these people?" Like, they would be on board with this new team. You know, this is the these are the new faces of the MCU going forward, and I just yeah, that's that's so exciting. Thank you. Like, I I, I like that you have the agents, the Shield agents. You know, kind of following, telling back. That could be almost a really really funny like C plot of your movie, especially <laughs> to have Randall Park. Yes. I love him. You know, uh, in it would be amazing. Have him chasing. Yes. Like I, I am down. Like I'm, I'm so down. Whereas I wanted to kind of, yes, I wanted to stay away from the, the current MCU. Cause I, I just really wanted to, to show that the X-Men can stand alone. Like they are the X-Men. They don't need anyone else to have their own interesting stories. And then we're, they're going to play, play ball with everyone else. They're definitely going to have some fun. Sure. Um, but I, I wanted it to be very self-contained, the story, you know, in New Orleans, this one, two days of action and craziness and a lot of bonding. And yeah. from there, it creates this spark, this genesis, if you will, <laughs> of the X-Men that goes into the future of where Beast introduces them to a person who he uh, know uh, knows as an acquaintance uh, professor x you know and you know i didn't want to show too much in the end credit scene um i didn't even want to cast professor x or anything i just wanted to to get to let you know that's what's setting it up and that they are going into being the x-men pretty much right after that that's great yeah i love that 
Okay. Uh, I'm, I need a bowl or two. Um, that was great. That was so <laughs> fun, man. Um, do we have anything else to tell the people? Just, you know, as always, uh, let us know what you think. Um, you can, you can let us know your feedback at, uh, at planet fantasy podcast at gmail.com. Um, we would love to know, you know, how you feel about these movies, uh, you know, favorite, least favorite, please be nice. <laughs> um, but yeah. And if you want, as always, if there's a topic you want us to cover, please let us know. Um, this has potential to be my favorite one yet we've done. It was so fun. Um, I could talk about these characters for, for ages. Um, but yeah, I think that, I think that does it for us. All right, guys. Uh, we love y'all. If y'all made it to the end of this and even if you didn't, we still love y'all and, uh, <laughs> We uh, will be back with another episode next week, guys. And until then, catch you later. See y'all.